I think for men, it's absolutely in our nature to be territorial over women. How are we supposed to protect you, provide for you, and make sure that you're okay in all these regards if you don't listen to us or if you're if you're not ours? Why would we want to do that? And also, like, we have a protected interest in we need you to be the gateway for our child to come through the world. So it is our responsibility to make sure that you are taken care of and safe so that our child can be fostered into the world, you know, properly and adequately. So it's kind of like in our innate instinct to make sure that the woman is protected. And I feel like a lot of times women mistake protection and authority for control where it's like, oh, he's just telling me what to do. But we have these instincts that make us want to not let our girl do certain things out of protection. everybody welcome back to root awakening a health podcast if you want updates on my life you can go to my instagram or my youtube both of those are linked in the show notes and really i just want to give you some updates about primal meetup before we get into this episode more people are joining all the time and it's just going really well and we have such solid positive helpful community on there for those of you who don't know i created an app called primal meetup for community and dating and friendship and parenting in the carnivore raw primal space so if you're interested in eating raw meat if you eat a lot of meat in general if you're in like the carnivore world i think you'll love this app there is so much diet dogma and so much hating online. I got so sick of it. And with some encouragement from my audience members, I created this app. I use it for dating and friendship and just like a general sense of community that is supportive. I moderate this group and I don't really have to do a lot of moderating because everyone that joins is so cool, um, but I make sure that no one is hating in there or treating people in a shitty way and I'm just really proud of it. We've just created a quite a bond with everyone there and the vibes are excellent and it's great to see who's single in a community when you have a more specific diet. So check it out. The link is in the show notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Root Awakening, a health podcast. This is such a special episode and going to be really exciting. It's going to be somewhat of an audience Q&A, which I'll explain in a second. But Nick Caputo is here with me. Nick is a male hormone expert and founder of the Top T Natty Cycle program. We all know that I talk about sex in every single episode of this podcast because I'm obsessed and I love it and I have a lot to learn. And um we have quite an active Instagram community here in the Root Awakening world, and we talk about sex all the time. I poll you guys all the time, and somebody in our community reached out to me and said, get Nick Caputo on your podcast. He has really interesting stuff that he's talking about, and then I said, okay, let's get him on, and he was nice enough to come on and join us, so thank you so much, Nick, for, for joining us here. For sure. What's up, everybody? Welcome. Glad to be here. Yay. So, yeah, I... I asked Nick to come on. He said, yes. I asked everyone what kind of questions they wanted to ask Nick. And I got this whole long list of questions. There are so many fans of you in our community, Nick. And man, somebody did ask about your story and what your history was. And I usually like to start episodes with that. So can you tell us about how you got to where you are today? And I, I'm sure that'll segue into what you're doing now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my story could be multiple podcast episodes on its own. So I'll keep it concise. But um, basically, I've been in the kind of health space, nutrition space for a really long time. 
And part of that led me into different things. And, you know, sex became a prevalent factor in some of my posts and a lot of my philosophy throughout the years. And it's changed a lot. Um, I'm one of those people who would prefer to admit that I'm wrong instead of continuing to do something wrong. So I was a huge senior retention advocate for a really long time, did a lot of experimenting with senior retention, uh, things of that nature, not ejaculatory sex, all that stuff. And uh, now years later, I am like 10 toes down, strong advocate against semen retention. So we'll talk about why and I guess my experiences and, and why I came to those conclusions um, and why I'm so strong about my conclusions. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, I guess, as, as it pertains to the relevancy of what we're about to talk to today. Okay, cool. So what got you interested in men's sex hormones? Like, I obviously you're living it and experiencing it, but not everyone's interested in looking up these topics all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I guess the most prevalent one was the semen retention thing with the testosterone levels. So after I did a year straight of semen retention, I got my blood work done to see where my testosterone was at and it was low as shit. So pretty much from there, I became interested and kind of like obsessed where I was like, okay, you know, I've been a little bamboozled here. I got to figure out like what's up with this. And then the more that I started researching it and looking into it, I was like, oh, your hormones like play a role in like basically everything, mental health, your ability to sleep well, you know, muscle growth, all these other things. And I'm like, damn, like now that I've learned so much about testosterone, it's like almost impossible that this thing that's been keeping it lower you know, is contributing to health in other ways. So it kind of like was a huge uh, paradigm shift for, for me and kind of like, you know, shattered my ego in a lot of ways and, uh, you know, opened a door to me diving into this new rabbit hole and going down into this. And then I ended up learning so much about it and then figuring out how much of a prevalent issue it is for the world and how common, you know, testosterone deficiency is in men today and how it's affecting society and relationships in so many different ways. So it kind of like dragged me this way and kind of just like came, I came to these conclusions and felt, the relevancy of it and decided to dive deeper in it and then eventually start teaching some of this stuff. Cool. Cool. All right. Yeah. So let's, I guess let's just hop into these other questions that everybody had for you. Somebody asked, how are men and women's bodies different hormone hormonally and sexually? Okay. This could be, <laughs> we, could, we could go vague or we could go like really, really deep into this. Um, I guess I'll go over like the main ones. I mean, Boys have a penis. <laughs> have a vagina. Um, we got different plumbing. But uh, other than that, I guess hormonally, um, our pathways are slightly different considering that a lot of the hormones for men are made like in the testes, whereas for women, it's the, the ovaries. So there's different endocrine organs that are actually manufacturing a lot of these hormones, um, although the pathways are very similar. So when we talk production pathways for, let's say, like testosterone, estrogen, et cetera, we still have the hypothalamic pituitary and instead of the gonadal uh whatever it's the ovarian um axis so instead of the hpg axis we have the hpo axis i believe so basically like the only difference is um you know the hypothalamus still creates gnrh which goes to the pituitary which signals lh and fsh and then that goes through the bloodstream and then it either you know goes to the testicles or the ovaries to signal the production of different hormones a lot of them are very similar but the production pathways of the specifics are a little bit different and we make hormones a little bit differently. Some are more predominantly important, like progesterone in women um, is more significantly uh, highlighted as opposed to um, progesterone in men because progesterone gets turned into testosterone. So it's a little more important for us in that okay. way. Okay. So I guess those are like, I guess, big differences. I mean, we're wired differently in the way that we think and feel emotions. 
the way that we process information, the way that we view the world, um, the way uh, that we look for partners, the way that we are attracted to things, the way that we uh, view like both logic and emotions are definitely different between men and women. We are in entirely different species. We are entirely different creatures. Um, we have very many similarities. Obviously, we're all human. Obviously, we all feel emotions and we all think, um, but we do it very differently. And, you know, we we have circulatory systems, we have brains, but there, there are differences. And I think a lot of them correlate uh, with hormones and like neurotransmitters in different circadian rhythms and different, um, you know, uh, I guess, rhythms and cycles that we have. For example, I guess um, you guys have a monthly cycle you know, with the, uh, the infradian rhythm, your 28 day cycle, and we only have the 24 hour cycle. You have the 24 hour cycle, but you have the 28 day cycle in addition to the 24 hour cycle. What? That's so crazy. You guys, yeah. So you guys also have, I mean, like a daily cycle, your circadian rhythm, you get your cortisol spike in the morning, you get your adrenaline or adrenaline dopamine spike in the morning with sunlight. And then over time it goes down and you go to sleep and then you release prolactin in your sleep. Like a lot of things are very similar between men and women. You get that 24 hour cycle, the wake and sleep cycle, of course, but your hormonal cycle, your reproductive cycle takes place in that 28 hours as opposed to the 24 hours for us. Oh, and that affects our um, sexual preference, how much we want to have sex, um, what we prefer during sex. You know, for women, it like can vary different times of the month throughout different weeks, depending on what part of your cycle you're in, like in your follicular phase and your ovulatory phase and, you know, your luteal phase, like you can have completely different sexual preferences and actually different preferences in men um, and different attraction based on facial features, things like that, depending on where you are in your cycle. Whereas for men, we kind of want the same thing pretty consistently all the time. Hmm. Okay. Wow. Cool. There's a lot here to unpack because I'm really interested in a lot of what you're saying. Are you drinking raw milk right now? I am. Yes. Nice. Okay. Somebody asked about that too. <laughs> There's so much. Such meadows. Yeah, I love it. I have my raw fat and raw high liver here so we can like have a little picnic together. Are you eating primal? Uh, I wouldn't say a hundred percent primal. I, I like a lot of the philosophies, but I deviate a little bit. Mm -hmm. I cook food. Um, I do like, I cook my steaks. I eat like fried potatoes. Um, mm -hmm. I do, you know, some stuff that's not primal, but I like, I like the primal. If, if I had to go with one, um, kind of like niche dietary, like community group, I think the primal people are the most on it as opposed to like, you know, a lot of the other ones like the keto carnivore, the vegans or the, you know, everybody else. I think the primals are pretty much on it. I like Ogenus a lot. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Love that. Okay. So I guess first I want to hear about the differences between men and women as far as you mentioned, like, yes, we're different in so many different arenas and women, like we differ based on like who we're attracted to. You mentioned a lot of these differences and I know I'm asking you really general questions, Nick, but like, there's so much here. I don't know. I'm not a science minded person at all. So like, I guess it's just whatever's coming up for you around the differences between how men and women think and what they're attracted to and what they're looking for. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we could talk about this in like a physical context, like features and things like that. Yes. And we can also talk about it in like a, um, like a relationship type thing. Mm -hmm. And I would say it's very different the way that we want, um, sex versus like relationships. We want different things for different things. Um, and when men and women differ in both regards as well from each other, as well as like men and women, you know, deviating from themselves in those two regards. So oftentimes like sex and relationships are two, um, kind of separate things, but they overlap a lot. So for example, what I'm getting at here is for example, like 
as men, uh, a lot of things that we really do like for sex, we typically don't like in relationships and we don't like to see our girl doing for like relationship type stuff. Elaborate. Um, and <laughs> so, I mean, when you have sex, like a lot of that, just in general, like a lot of freaky shit, like guys like a lot of stuff that if your girl was doing it in public, it's not exactly one of those things that like men find attractive. Um, so like, I don't know, certain, like dancing or dressing a certain way, things like that. Um, and then I guess an, another example for women would be at different parts of your ovulatory cycle, there are times where you prefer uh, certain facial features and certain behavior types and even certain smells that uh, correlate with guys that are like more jacked, more chiseled, more like hard jawline, more like alpha type guys, more dominant guys. And then there are other times, um, you know, in your ovulatory cycle where you prefer actually like the more beta type guys, the less defined facial features, the, um, you know, the less dominant behavior, things like that. So you guys fluctuate through week with, through the week with kind of what you want. And it kind of uh, translates to like, there's a time where your hormones make you focus more on relationship and security and other times where it makes you focus more on actually like getting impregnated or finding sexual partners. So your hormones shift throughout the month to make you like accomplish different goals, whether that is to like get laid and get a baby put in you or whether that is to find security and get someone to take care of you and protect you while you're weak. Wow. Okay. First of all, with the men, it makes sense. For some reason, this just really rings true to me. I think I've had past partners that have been like, well, I don't want you to dress like that if we go out in public but they like it obviously they like it on like let's say if I'm dressing I don't even know like in like a short skirt or something they wouldn't like that in public and they get like ain't very angry but then when I'm just around obviously they want me to be like naked you know so yeah I exactly. get what you're saying and exactly man, and especially when he's not there Exactly. Yeah. Here's the thing, Nick. I love that. Like, I love a possessive man. And I'm, I'm fucking crazy, too. I'm like, super possessive and jealous. And we're working through it. But we've pulled this a lot in the audience, the Instagram audience as well. Like, is, is possession and being possessive? Is that just like cool and primal? And, you know, if both people are consensual, is that healthy? Because it's kind of connecting with our animalistic instinct or something? Or is it unhealthy? And we've gotten a lot of mixed results. What are your thoughts on that? I think there's definitely nuance. I think for men, it's absolutely in our nature to be territorial over women. Cool. Um, so that's, you know, always been kind of prevalent. Um, it's kind of the reason why when you get married, the father gives the daughter away to the husband, not the other way around. Like his mom isn't giving him to her. It's like her dad is giving her to him. So it's kind of like a territorial thing where it's like, okay, now she's yours to take care of, to provide for, to protect, to do all these things for, um, you know, she's your responsibility now. So you have to be territorial over her because she's your responsibility. So that's kind of where that territorialism kind of comes from. Like, how are we supposed to protect you, provide for you and make sure that you're okay in all these regards if you don't listen to us or if you're, if you're not ours, why would we want to do that? Um, and also like we have a protected interest and in, we need you to be the gateway for our child to come through the world. So it is our responsibility to make sure that you are taken care of and safe so that our child can be fostered into the world, um, you know, properly and adequately. So it's kind of like in our innate instinct to make sure that the woman is protected. And I feel like a lot of times women mistake protection and authority for control, where it's like, oh, he's just telling me what to do. But we have these instincts that make us want to not let our girl do certain things out of protection, not only protection for her, but also protection for our reputation and for our, you know, um, what's the word, our status, 
you know, a woman can make you, you know, a woman that appeals to your authority can give you extreme amounts of status, especially depending on if she's really beautiful. But at the same time, she can also embarrass you and totally ruin your status to the public if she, you know, doesn't appeal to your authority or she disrespects you in public, things like that. Um, so for men, it's it's very, very important. For women, I feel like it is slightly different. Um, of course, it's kind of natural as well for the woman to be somewhat uh, possessive or territorial over the man because she is her means for protection and resources. So it's kind of like one of those things. It's like, oh, if he's going to get with other girls, then like, or if he's going to give other girls attention, like she might take away the resources that I'm getting from him. Like, that's not cool. I'm not about that. Um, and typically, you know, throughout history, you really only see guys that are at the top of the food chain, at the top of the hierarchy socially that have multiple women because it's pretty apparent and obvious that they have the resources to support multiple women. And like the women don't fear sharing him because they have nothing to lose. There's enough to go around type shit. Hmm. So in a regular, like normal people relationship, it is kind of sensible for monogamy to be realistic. And I think uh, monogamy has been very demonized in the modern, like feminist type um, stuff that's going around. And it's just heavily demonized monogamy for both men and women. You know, for the women, it's kind of just be like, be promiscuous, be sexually free, do whatever. And then for men, it's kind of like, you know, oh, you can handle multiple girls, like whatever. It's not the shame for guys and girls, blah, blah, blah. I feel like depending on who you are and depending on your resources and your status, et cetera, like monogamy is realistic for most regular people. Cool. Okay. I like this. And it's interesting because what you're saying about women being on their monthly cycle and being attracted to different types of men at different periods in their cycle. Like if I heard the same thing about a man that would tear me apart because of my like jealous tendencies. So like how, well, first of all, I want to ask you personally, how did you feel when you found out that information? Like, did it make you insecure or like that? How, how would a monogamous relationship ever work with a woman? Um, insecure? No, more so fascinated. Um, it's kind of like, you know, those, those conclusions are drawn from like studies where they have girls at different times in their, you know, cycle, um, just like say what they're attracted to as far as like looking at pictures of dudes and faces and different things. So it's kind of just like a trend. Women are not like men in the sense that you guys don't want to have sex all the time as much as we do in certain times of the month. So for example, there are phases in your cycle where like those times where you're attracted to the more beta type guy, like the more security, weak, less dominant type guy is the time where you don't really want to have sex. And the time when you want to have sex is when you're more attracted to the guy with the chisel jawline and the big traps and, you know, the money and the dominant behavior and the telling you what to do type shit. Um, so it really, it, it correlates with your sex drive as well. Your sex drive is higher when you're attracted to those uh, types of guys, as opposed to like when you want the other types of guys, you're less uh, sex driven in general. You're more security driven, more like introverted um, in your behavior. Okay. So you feel more, it's like, yeah, there, there are like reasons for us being attracted to these types of guys, but it's not really so literal that if we're with one type of guy, we're not going to want them for part of the month. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, unless you're with the beta type guy, the security safe, kind of less dominant type guy. And then when you're ovulating, you want the dominant guy to put a baby in you and let the beta guy take care of you. Um, that's actually really, really common. Um, so for, it's not really an issue for the alpha dominant type guys. It's more of an issue for the less dominant, like beta type guys. And I'm just using those words to like, so people get a general idea of what I'm talking about. I mean, I don't really like the words alpha and beta, but they're just descriptive like terms. You know what I mean? More dominant versus like less dominant chisel jawline versus like more round face, um, you know, less dominant type features. Um, that's pretty much what I'm using, what I'm saying when I'm describing like beta versus alpha in this context. Okay. Okay, cool. So do you think that, man it's it's interesting 
to hear about this, the, the, like you say, the alpha beta type guys. And I've had some people message me about this. There's some documentary out there. That's like women only want like the top 10% of good looking guys. And they, if they marry anyone else who's under that top 10%, they're settling everyone who's messaged me about this, no offense, they sound miserable. So I'm like, I don't know if that mindset is like really working for you. Because like, if you can't, if you can't change certain parts about your look, and you may know Nick, as well as I do in the primal world, your looks can change like anti aging is real, totally. your jawline can get more structured, you can get more buff, obviously, like people can change a lot. And I've seen it in my life. And in other people's lives, especially I think if you're eating raw meat and just, or eating a diet that really works for you, amazing things can happen. Amazing transformations can happen. But this topic, I will say it, it kind of annoys me because I just, I don't know. I talk to people who are in relationships all the time in our Instagram community. And they're like, I date a guy who's like, not that alpha guy. And I'm super happy. And I, I also know people who broke up with the alpha guy to be with the beta type guy and they love it. Like they literally got divorced from like a tall Marine, like, you know, built dude, hot built dude to be with another guy that's like still attractive, but has the rounder face, doesn't have a built body and they seem like genuinely happy. So like, can you speak a little bit about your approach towards that idea? For sure. Um, I will say uh, the kind of top 10% thing is actually like accurate type stuff if you look at like the data from a lot of these dating sites like there is like a, I, I wouldn't say it's 10 percent; it's closer to 20 percent of the guys that get the majority of the right swipes and then like you know the rest are kind of like fending for the scraps they say it's like the 80 20 reversed you know oh. like the top 80 percent of girls are competing for the top 20 percent of guys and then the remaining 80 percent of guys are kind of like there for the 20 percent at the bottom of the girls um that's kind of like statistically based on the dating app like kind of data is like actually accurate However, um, I would say that like, it's common in the whole red pill community of guys that like, they kind of use that as an excuse to like disqualify themselves and be like, oh, I'm not in the top 20%. So like, I'm never going to get girls like whatever. I feel like that's a toxic way to go about it because the guys in the bottom 80% still have the same chance to get laid as anybody else. And realistically, I mean, confidence and certain things that are totally in your, within your grasp are able to, you know, be changed. And I would say realistically, the only thing, the only thing, the one only thing that you can't change is your height. Like if you're, you know, if you're five, four, there's not really much you can do. Like you're never going to be six, two, no matter what you do, no matter what you eat, no matter how you work out, whatever. But if that is your weak point, make sure it's your only weak point, you know, get everything else on point, build your physique, get your status up, make money, do a lot of other things, be, you know, be on point, be competent and learn a lot of things, develop skills. You know, you can work on yourself in so many different regards where it's like your height doesn't even matter. I mean, Floyd Mayweather is not tall, but like, is he struggling with like girls? Absolutely not. So, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, there's no reason to make excuses for your inadequacies, like just max out everything that you could possibly max out. And that's really the, like the best thing you can do. And I mean, realistically, any guy can get their physique on point. Any guy can get a nice haircut. Any guy can get a nice tan. Any guy can chew mastic gum and get his jawline more defined. Any guy can freaking, you know, eat right and clear up his skin. Any guy can make more money and, and learn skills and invest the little money they have or the time that they have into skills that are going to make them money and then start making money. And then, you know, all these things can be changeable. It's all within your control. Like I said, the only thing that's not in your control is your height, I would say. And honestly, if it's an inch or two, like if you're 5'11", you might be able to get to six foot if you do some spinal decompression or little things like that. 
um, you know, you can give yourself like an inch or two based on certain things. But um, yeah, I would say that's my take on that overall. Another thing I would say with regard to that is it's kind of common for girls to not understand how bad it is for actually the majority of men. Uh, one in three men under 30 is a virgin, completely sexless. So, I mean, it's it's rough out here for a lot of guys and especially with porn and video games and like the whole internet taking over after COVID and whatnot. Like it's really difficult for a lot of guys to get out there and get laid. Um, and that's realistically mostly because they don't try or they're scared or they're nervous or they don't think they can or things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, most, if you look at like history, the statistic wise, like 99% of women throughout history have reproduced and only about 49% of men have reproduced. And they say that in the, um, the last 8,000 years, I forget, I saw an article on this. It was super interesting. It said that in the last 8,000 years, 17 women reproduced for every one man that reproduced. So I guess that's, you know, 17 to one in like who gets, who actually like carries on their genes, which is pretty interesting. Um, especially considering like population wise, the difference between men and women isn't that drastic. So it means, you know, some of the guys are getting with most of the girls. Uh, <laughs> oh my I mean, God. And throughout history, it's not really preposterous to think about it that way, because I mean, if you look at Kings and like people who were like royalty in certain areas, like they had hundreds of wives at young ages. There were like 13-year-old kings with like hundreds of wives. Genghis Khan impregnated like hundreds of thousands of people. Oh it was God. like, you know, one of those things where, you know, got people that were in positions of power or guys that were at the top of the hierarchy really had all the girls they wanted, like as many girls as they could possibly imagine. And that's why I find it interesting that guys today promote like semen retention as a sign of strength, like not having sex or like avoiding women, where it's like throughout all of human history – the guys at the top of the food chain, the guys who were the most dominant, the strongest, the most disciplined, the most dominant, were having the most second, but the most sex and busting the most nuts. So it's, I find it very interesting how it's flip flopped and it aligns with the way that everything else in society is moving towards uh, more like demasculinizing men and whatnot. So I think it's super interesting. Like even now, like when I post about like busting nuts or why I think like having sex and ejaculating is healthy and important for men to do, um, and how I'm even not entirely against masturbating guys are like oh like anything to justify weakness like whatever it's like it's not weakness to do what you're designed to do you know um it's weakness to think that you're not good enough to get a girl it's weakness to be afraid to go out and talk to girls it's weakness to think that you can't work on your business and still get laid um you know things like that it's you know if you can't handle all of it that's that's weakness to me if you if you can't bust a nut and carry on your day if you can't bust three nuts in a day and still do everything you were going to do and go to the gym and make money and do everything you're supposed to do and make sure your girl's taken care of like that's weakness being able to do it all and still bust as many nuts as you want, that's what your strength is. Oh, I love this. It's so inspiring. It's inspiring because, well, I like hearing it as a woman. It's nice to hear a man talk like that to me. And also you're giving people steps to achieve this on their own. And nobody is like hopeless, you know? And we're going to get into what you do. I'm excited because you help people with this for a living, right? I'm sure I do. <laughs> I mean, less specifically, like sex is one of the pillars that I teach. So a lot of it is mostly like nutrition and lifestyle intervention. Sex is one of those things that I feel is the icing on the cake type thing. It's uh, less important than some of the other things like nutrition, sleep, training, sunlight, etc. Um, you know, you don't need to be having sex every day, but you should be getting in the sunlight every day and you should be eating a steak every day. Mm. Or you know, eating, you know, some kind of like getting your micro and macronutrient targets every day. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. So before we kind of like 
graduate into these other questions here. I also want to say just from a woman's perspective, like looking for guys, I am looking for this like alpha type guy. That's just what I like, like giant lumberjack style. My audience knows this. I talk about it all the time. I'm like, this is my future husband. This is what he's going to be like. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not in, I don't know. I guess I'm in okay company. Some girls agree with me. Some girls want, they say they want different types of guys, but I will say this. I've dated guys that are shorter than six foot still. I've dated like all, How tall are you? Dated all types. Of, what's that? How tall are you? Five, six and a half. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Usually girls prefer just guys that are either their height or taller. Yeah, exactly. As long that's as he's not shorter than you, you're straight. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Exactly. And that's what I've been kind of telling some of the guys I've been talking to them. And um, there are short girls out there that don't care. They just want someone that's like generally, like you say, generally taller than them. And I'll mm -hmm. also say, I am someone that will swipe right on, I don't really use regular dating apps anymore, but like, I would want a guy who's like alpha type, but if I can't have a conversation with him, if he's not like emotionally, this is a whole nother conversation, but I just want to say this for the point from a woman's perspective of what I look for in dating. Mm -hmm. If he's like, if he has a lot of emotional baggage, if it's clear that he's not like working through his shit and he seems emotionally like unstable, that doesn't seem safe for me. It doesn't matter how good oh, looking no. he is. I'm not going to be with him because like, I'm looking for someone long-term. And like you're saying, I want, I want a sense of stability to me, emotional instability or like really bad depression or whatever. He, he can't like get to the level that I want to get to in conversation. It's a no for me. So like all these other qualities also matter. Definitely. Definitely. And I mean, especially for women, I mean, women tend to be more emotionally unstable than men to begin with, generally speaking. So if he's emotionally unstable, it's like a recipe for absolute disaster in a relationship. And I mean, for most guys, if you're, if you're not emotionally um, like on it, realistically, you should be working on other things other than a relationship before you're ready for a relationship. So I, I agree with what you're saying hundred percent. Another thing too, is uh, when it comes to the height thing, a lot of times when it comes to like preference, um, men's preference is kind of like demonized in a sense where women's are more like generally accepted. So it's like one of those things, it's like, totally cool for girls to want a dude that's taller than her makes more money than her is more dominant stronger smarter than her etc but um you know when a dude you know wants to have two girlfriends it's like a catastrophe like everybody thinks it's it's unrealistic or like when we have preferences or we want like our girl to not go to the club and shake her ass or to not wear certain clothes or whatever it is um you know it's kind of like oh you're controlling oh you're insecure or it's like no we just have preferences just like you guys would you want to be with a shorter guy would we call you insecure no because it's just we don't do that but um, it kind of gets spun around on guys a lot. So I want to just make it a point that it's like, guys, if you have a preference for something, like it's okay to have preferences. Um, it's not, it doesn't make you insecure to not want your girl in the club without you. Um, stuff like that. And also for girls, it doesn't make you insecure to want a guy that has more money than you. It's, these are normal things that we find attractive. Normal things that we, you know, that we like. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Good points. Good points. So here's something. You're right. If a girl had a boyfriend who said, you can't go to the club without me these days, we'd be like, you're crazy. Can mm -hmm. you like elaborate a little bit on that? I, I know you already mentioned it, but like, where's the line between like healthy and unhealthy there? The line between healthy and unhealthy is whether she listens or not when he's, when he says, no, don't go. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> that's, that's where I think the line is. If he's, if he's not comfortable with her going and she doesn't appeal to his authority and respect that he's not comfortable with that, then the relationship is beat. 
There's if there's no foundation of respect, it's all gone. And it shouldn't be like a oh, I have to blindly do everything he says. It's like no, if he's telling me he doesn't want me to go, it's probably for a reason. He doesn't think I'm safe there. He, you know, I trust his judgment. And if he doesn't want to go, I trust that he's right. That's really why like the authority should be appealed to. It's like you shouldn't be with a man who you don't trust, like to tell you not to go when you shouldn't go. You know, where it's like if he tells you, oh, I don't care, go, and then you get hurt or you get raped or something happens or like you get drugged, it's you know, it's his fault because you're his responsibility. So it's kind of one of those things where like as a woman, when you're picking a man, you know, if he doesn't want you to go out and do things where you could be in danger or it could jeopardize your relationship, it's honestly just showing that he values your relationship and values you and wants you to be safe. It's not so much that he wants to keep you in his pocket and control you and be a dick about it. It's kind of like, you know, he wants to protect his territory, which is you. And it's a natural, like, it's a natural instinct of men to do that. Mm -hmm. When you say it like that, it sounds so much better (laughs) than how it feels like with, because, you know, we get, we all get other sources of programming and we also don't, we, I think everyone's afraid of being it, or maybe just women, or I don't know, but people are afraid of being in abusive relationships. They're afraid of being with someone who's like, you know, somehow harming their well-being without them knowing you know that I think that's a big fear at least with women that I know of um so do you think men can ever take that too far or do you think their instinct is like usually correct there with like you should go you shouldn't go type thing well I think they can take it too far with how they enforce it so I think if a girl doesn't listen to you you shouldn't do anything to actually enforce it you just leave you just retract attention you just retract resources you stop doing all the nice things you do for her and let her know what she's losing by not listening to you you know um all the things that you bring to the table as a man are your value and you have the ability to take those away whenever you feel like it um that is always better than locking her in her room or like enforcing like physically that she can't go or things like that let her walk out the door let her ass go and then just don't talk to her again or just don't give her money for the ride home or you know whatever it is um and depending on like how far along you are in the relationship obviously the way that you would react is slightly different um, but you know, if you're like years into a relationship and your girl's going out to the club after you tell her you don't want her to, like realistically, you shouldn't have ever get let the relationship get that far. This is interesting. This is very interesting. I haven't heard many men talk like that. And I, I would say that a lot of men are afraid to say stuff like this. hundred percent. You'll barely ever hear the truth from men as a woman. Yeah. They will almost never tell you the truth. Yeah. Because they don't want to get like, they, they don't want to be seen as a toxic male. Is that yeah, right? and they don't want to lose sexual access. Like uh-huh. most men are afraid to lose sexual access to women by telling them the truth. Because honestly, also women usually aren't equipped to handle the truth in most scenarios. Um, normally, like it's you know they're not ready to hear it. Um, you know they say they say men fall in love with what they see and women fall in love with what they hear, and that's why women wear makeup and men lie. Oh, I hate that, Nick. That's depressing. <laughs> it is, but it's it's the reality. It's human behavior. You know, I don't wear makeup. Well, yeah, it's true. But most girls do. But yeah. I mean, either way, like most girls care way more about how they look than most guys. Like looks yeah. are important for us, but it's not the primary agency for us when, you know, looking for a partner. Whereas like for women, it's like the number one thing. It's yeah. like, we don't care how much money you make. We don't care about your education. Like we don't care like that much about what you really bring to the table. Um, if you're, you know, if we don't like the way you look, like most of the time, like we're not even we're not even gonna get like look further to see if you have those other things. It's not like if a woman's educated, we're like, oh, I don't like her. She has a college degree. You know, it's like, oh, it's such a turnoff. It's not the case. 
but it's no one's like, oh my god, she makes she makes eighty k a year. Oh, that's so hot. Like <laughs> you know, most guys don't ever think that way, but for a girl, you know, if they're like, oh, he makes two hundred k a year, like that's you know that helps him. You know, and I can turn that can turn a semi ugly guy into like a way hotter guy to a girl just because he makes money. So like for men, the looks aren't as important for women like it totally is. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. I can I I mean I know that I've seen that. Okay, um. What do you think, do you think having a career, being a career, not a career focused woman, but we've had this conversation before in the community, because mm -hmm. I don't really care how much my guy will make. And I think that's, that's probably, maybe I'm in the minority. I'm not trying to make a point with that. I just don't really mm -hmm. care because to me, um, providing for the family is like literally going out and hunting for me and bringing home an animal, literally, like literally bringing that's home the cool. food. Providing is providing. Providing is providing. And I see money as like not such a primal thing. It's kind of just something that society, yes, it does totally give us security and all that, but it's like society created money. If if society shut down, then what are we going to do? Your money's not going to help me. Do you know how to like fight? Do you know how to hunt? You know what I'm saying? Totally. Money's not the only thing, but it helps. Because yeah. I mean, realistically, society's not going anywhere anytime soon. Like at least not in our lifetime as far as I see it. So I mean- you can, money can get you a long way as far as like security with your house and you can, you know, buy enough land to be able to hunt those animals and be able to like do everything you need to do and grow the food or whatever. Um, so a lot of these things even now, like do require money. Um, but I guess like, I see where you're coming from in the sense of like, as long as your basic needs are provided for, he doesn't need to do anything over the top as far as money goes. Um, you don't need the guy with the Lambo, which is honestly like practical for most girls, I would say, um, to just want someone who can actually provide. But let's say a guy had absolutely no money and he still lived at his mom's house in his ba in their basement and like didn't have any money at all no job nothing going for him not selling anything like that's unattractive yeah to me i would just think about like i'm in the self development industry as well as you right so i would be mm -hmm. like something's wrong there like if you're not building yeah. something in your life it's almost like money or not but i it's not like i have my mind made up about that <clears throat> so it's more so like the ambition and the traits that come along with a guy that makes money as yeah. opposed to money itself Yes, I think so. Um, because so let me ask you a question. What about a guy who doesn't have any money, he's completely broke, or he makes like, I don't know, a thousand bucks a month, like pretty broke. And he has a lot of ambition and he has a plan and he's like, I'm going somewhere and I'm building something. What do I you think about that. that? I love that. But if it's that way for like 10 years and I can kind and of- you realize think... he can't execute. What? And you realize like he can't execute. Yeah. Then that, then that would be an issue. But here's the thing, Nick, I'm a, I'm a broke entrepreneur right now. You know, like I'm like trying to build my business. This is the only thing I'm doing right now. So like in my mind, I'm like, I kind of appreciate that in other people. It could just be like where I'm at in my life, you know? Um, for sure. You got to start from the bottom for most, most successful people have started from the bottom and have done things and failed in the beginning and whatnot. And um, have done really embarrassing. Actually... Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I was, uh, go ahead. I was done. Um, I was just going to say, and have done really embarrassing things to like, or societally embarrassing things to make their business work. You know, like, I also think maybe it'd be good for people like women to understand that too. Like, I don't know, maybe you, you also have stories from how you started your business as an entrepreneur. Sometimes you're in the basement. Like sometimes you go into debt. Sometimes you do things that people wouldn't be in awe of, or sometimes you ask your parents for money to, to mm -hmm. make your business work. It's kind of embarrassing, but to me that that's so it's so much more, 
attractive in a way and different and interesting than someone who's just like, fuck it, I'm just going to have an employer for the rest of my life. Nothing wrong with it. It's just, I like people who, who, yeah, like you said, have that drive. So I just think that's important. Um, and going off of this topic, do you think men are intimidated by women who, someone like me, who like has a business? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, intimidated wouldn't be the word. Um, I think it really depends on preference. Some guys prefer the girls that are go-getters. Some guys, especially like really like driven, like, you know, guys are like actually prefer that. I mean, for me, honestly, like I don't mind it because it's like, if you have something you're working towards, it's like, it, you know, if I had a girlfriend, like, and she has her own business, like, I don't really care how much money she makes. It really is irrelevant to me because I'm not looking for her to provide for me in any way, shape or form. But it's nice that she does some, if anything, I prefer that she works really hard and doesn't make a lot of money because I'll take care of it. And then she's busy all day, not doing dumb shit. And then she also doesn't have a lot of random money that she could spend on dumb shit. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how I, that's how I would view it. But I mean, in general, I feel like, um, a girl that keeps herself busy and has something she's passionate about is usually attractive because it's like, she's not just floating around freeloading and waiting for like another opportunity to come her way. Or like, she's not like just looking for like random fun, like handouts and shit like that. It's like, she has something that she's passionate about. And I feel like, um, as guys, we love to support that in girls. So Aww. like, if she has like a, if she likes to paint or if she likes to do something, I'd rather like have my girl home or like somewhere in the backyard in the sun you know, painting or doing some shit that she enjoys doing or like taking pictures or something as opposed to like going to work for somebody else. I think it's cool as long as she doesn't work for somebody else and call somebody else boss. Oh, okay. So if you, if you were with a girl that would, that was employed, it would be kind of a problem. For me personally, it's not my preference. I wouldn't say it's a problem. It's just like, I don't prefer that because it's like my territory is out for grabs. Like, you know, so she's calling someone else boss. She's showing up on time for somebody else. Like, I don't know. I don't like it. It's, it doesn't rub me the right way, but some, some guys will I agree with that. me. Some guys won't like, you know, I'm the only boss in your life. I love your that. father. There's something in me that loves that. Do you, well, do you find that women like that? Depends. In overall in general. It's hit or miss. Some girls love it. Some girls hate it. Um, you, you know, some girls are like those career girls, you know what I mean? Where they want to climb the corporate ladder and do that whole thing. And they're like, nothing can take that away from me. That's fine. Do you? It's not, not for me. Not my preference. Okay. Uh, and I mean, it depends. Like, you know, I, I prefer like, I mean, if it was up to me, like I prefer a girl that doesn't have a job at all and just likes like hobbies and talents, things like that. Uh, if she like, I think, I mean, women traditionally would make clothes, would prepare food for the week and like mm -hmm. tend to the animals and do things that are like around. So I feel like women having jobs isn't natural. Like going to work every day for a girl isn't it. Um, if There's a lot of things you can do at home. Um, that are like very productive, very difficult, that require serious skills that like women thrive in. Um, I think those like that's the more optimal role as a woman, like to make my kids clothes or like to prepare the food um, or to like process, you know, some kind of food related stuff or to like make sure, you know, the flowers in the backyard are pretty or like to paint a picture for our wall, some shit like that. I feel like those are more productive things for women to do than opposed to like going to call someone else boss to make money for another person's company. That's not mine. It's a good point. It's a good point. And that's going to hit in the primal community because it's, it's amazing. I don't know if you've noticed it in the raw primal diet community. People are very traditional like that. Like everyone wants to get mm -hmm. married and the men want to provide. And well, I don't know if there's not a lot of money in the raw primal community yet. Cause it's such a consuming diet. I, I find yeah. that it's expensive. It's expensive and milk is it raw milk is expensive. It's it. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, which is like to know everyone's just figuring it out. No fault to anybody. But I think it's going to get real interesting when we start to get entrepreneurial in the raw. There's stuff you can sell in the raw primal diet world. So I think that's going to be cool when people start getting money anyway. Um, but yeah, that it rings really true to me. And I think this will be relieving to a lot of women because the people that listen to this podcast, in my opinion, yeah, I'm biased, but like they're good people. I don't. I haven't come across really anyone in my audience that has been like, yeah, I just want to like freeload. And like, even in private, they, the women, like they, they just want a great life, a great relationship. They want to provide, they want to share stuff. You know, they're, they're good people. And I think it'll still be really relieving for the women to hear that because I think we get confused with all, all the shit going on, what we hear in society. We're like, wait, are we losers? If like, we're not making a lot of money as women, or is it a good thing? Cause we don't want to be in, I think women fear being intimidating to men because we make a lot of money, but I haven't heard one man say that maybe one or two in my community say that's actually intimidating. Yeah. It would probably only be intimidating to guys that don't make money. Um, uh Cause it's kind of like one of those things where they know they're supposed to meet that metric and they don't. So if you're doing it, it just overexposes how he's not doing it. Um, but I mean, in general, like for a guy that makes even decent money, he's not really intimidated by a girl that makes more money, but it's a lot of times like the behavioral dynamics that come along with a girl that makes more money. So for example, like if the girl makes more money, she kind of like, you know, starts to wear the pants and starts yeah. to like hold more dominant roles um, in both speech and behavior. It's kind of like, oh, you can't tell me I can't go to the club. I make more money than you. What are you going to do? Not pay for my shit? Like, I'll pay for my shit. And I'm going to the fucking club with my girls. Fuck you. Like, you know, you can't stop her. One of those things, like, if you take away what you bring to the table, she's still okay without you. That's one of those things that men, like, are low-key turned off by. Like, we want you to need us. That's okay if you need us. Like, it's okay for you to depend on us. We want to be the guy who provides the things that you need that you don't have. So it's like, when you do our job for us, we don't like it. Cool. You have jobs because then if you don't need too many cooks in the kitchen, right? If you're trying to do our job and we're both doing our job, who's doing your job? You know, it's like who's on YouTube looking up recipes? Not me. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> this is something I've seen. I've seen evidence that this works. Are you trying to do the man's job? There's nobody doing the woman's job. And yeah, yes. We subconsciously like don't like that, and we kind of know that that's going to take place. Okay, this makes so much sense. I used to be in the farming industry and I observed farms work really well when they're run by a couple, but they work well. I noticed if both people have their roles and they kind of stick to their roles and they honor the other person's role. Yeah, totally. It's a synergistic team, but we're not the same player. Yeah. Right. Like on any team, like even like a hockey team, you need forwards and defensemen and you need a center and a goalie. Like you don't need three goalies. You need one goal, you know? So it's like, yeah. We don't want to overlap in roles because then everything gets fucked up and we don't actually win. We don't actually do what we're setting out to do as adequately as we otherwise could. There are positions that aren't being played if too many people are playing the same position. I love we it. We know what we want to do and we know what we want you guys to do. So it's like if you guys are doing our job, it's just like a subtle turnoff for us. And it's not a game changer. It's not a complete game changer where it's like a girl can have a job and make good money and then also be a great mom and also be great around the house. If you find a girl that's like that, you hit the jackpot. But I mean, it's not likely it's, you know, if we're playing off like probability rather than like possibility, like it's not probable to find a girl that does it all. And realistically, most guys don't even care. Like I would take a girl who just can do everything around the house and can do all of the womanly duties. And that's cool with me. And I'll do all the manly duties and we can, you know, synergistically come together and do better things. And it's like, 
you know, we support each other. So like a woman who does depend on you, who does like rely on you and does support you in the fact that she knows that she relies on you and supports you and hypes you up and shit, you know, you go to work different. Like you, you perform differently knowing that you have dependence on you, knowing that your girl loves you and supports you and you cannot let her down. It's a different energy that men bring to the table in their work, in their career, in their pursuit of their mission. Whereas like when the girl also makes the money and it's like, Oh, if I don't make, if I don't do extra good this week, like it doesn't really matter. Cause she makes money too. Like it's, it, there's less motivation. There's less on your shoulders. We like rising up to the challenge. Um, and we can actually even see this in our hormones. Like our biology loves the underdog story. Our biology loves the coming over obstacles and challenging ourselves to achieve new feats as men specifically when it pertains to like our testosterone and our dopamine and like our hormones, our body, our biology rewards us for taking on big challenges and accomplishing them for providing when it's all on our shoulders from beating someone who we're supposed to lose to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's get into this co- competitiveness topic because you mentioned it. And I want to talk about, cause I was just talking to some guys in our, in our community about this. The, my understanding so far, based on talking to them and talking to Joy Schwartz, I know you guys had some interviews together too, right? We did a podcast. Yep. Okay, cool. Competitiveness is like in sports, for example, does that just replace the man's need to hunt? Um, it's similar mechanisms hormonally that achieve the the shifts. Um, it's not necessarily just hunting that does a certain thing to your hormones. It's more so the accomplishment, the accumulation of resources. So I guess in one way, yes. Uh, basically what happens like when you win is you anticipate that you're accumulating resources, whether you're fighting and you, you know, killed or knocked out the guy that you're fighting or you, you know, you kill the animal, like you, you know, you hunted the Buffalo, you kill them. Now you get to bring home the food. Whatever it is, it's like, okay, now we have food. Now we have resources. You know, if I beat the guy that I was fighting, now I took all his shit. Now I have all his stuff and his territory and his women, et cetera. So it's like, no matter what we've associated biologically winning with the accumulation of resources. So now even the way that we've adapted or evolved is that whenever we even anticipate or perceive the accumulation of resources, we get slight boosts in testosterone through the catecholamine pathway. So like dopamine, noradrenaline, adrenaline, et cetera. Um, whenever we get that like excitement, that rush from like being like, oh, we just made a fucking come up. That is what raises testosterone. But this is also only acute. It only happens for a couple hours and goes back to baseline. But it's interesting to see that like men with more resources, more rich men, men with uh, social status tend to uh, have higher free testosterone levels overall, just in general, as opposed to guys with lower status and less money. Okay. Okay. I believe that. Um, I never understood competitiveness. Like I get that way a little bit in my business. Like if I'm creating something that no one else has created, I'm like, oh, this is going to be the best. This is going to be, the, this better be the best of whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But with people I know and like, I'm not competitive. And I, I, I don't even, I don't get sports. Like I don't get how people even like spend their time. I'm just one of those people I don't understand. Well, that makes perfect that. sense because you're not a man. You shouldn't be. You're not designed to be. Okay. Um, you guys, women are competitive in different ways. Um, yeah, really the main, the main competition for women is competing for attention yeah. for men, <laughs> especially like back in the, back in the day, like, you know, a, a, a king with a hundred wives, like the only thing that those women are competing for is attention. Yeah. And I mean, realistically, that's what you guys are designed to do. That's what women do now. They compete for attention all the time now. I mean, or, you know, or for like for men. So the sexual marketplace, I guess, overall is where you could sum it up and say that women compete the most. 
Um, you know, women try to disqualify each other, like, oh, she's a slut, oh, she's fat, oh, whatever. Like, you know, they're always trying to like dig at each other and compete with each other low key to, um, you know, compete for men for attention and for love. Um, but other than that, they don't really compete out in the world because they've never had to. Men are more competitive because we had to fight for territory. We had to fight to be able to have the women fighting for our attention. Um, you know, we had to do a lot of these things to actually go out into the world and face the harsh realities so that the women don't. And they think the biggest issue that they have is just trying to get attention. Meanwhile, like men are out there actually fighting like the real issues and the real fucking harshness of the world. And that's we like doing that. We like to go face the harshness of the world so that you don't have to. Um, and that's another thing, I guess, when it comes to like women having jobs or women working in the corporate or making a lot of money, it's kind of like you are going out there and facing the harsh reality of the world like a man has to, and you shouldn't have to. And if you do, it changes your behavior and makes you more like a man, which is undesirable in general. Right. So I think that's where, that's where this whole turning men off by having a business thing, I think is intersecting. Like, yeah. And it's, I mean, having your own business for me, I like that better than you working for somebody else. Yeah. Like if, if I was like looking to find a girl, like for a girlfriend, I would say, you know, like if she has her own business and she's doing her own thing, especially if it's something like health or wellness or something that promotes like things that I align with, I think that's way better than like working any job, even if it's like Starbucks or some like irrelevant ass job. Mm -hmm. um, I would rather you work for yourself because you do it from the comfort of your own home and you don't have to go face, you know, other men and compete in the workplace and have to deal with your boss's shit and like, you know, have to like deal with the things that most men have to deal with mm -hmm. in the workplace. Um, it's women aren't built for it. They're not cut out for it. And the thing is too, when it comes to like emotional baggage or things that, um, you know, like trauma related type things, uh, men tend to recover from those things a lot better than women do. So like, usually a man with a lot of trauma is actually going to end up more successful. Whereas like a woman with more trauma mm -hmm. usually doesn't. So mm -hmm. it's one of those things where like, we are equipped to take it, to bottle it up and to use it as fuel to become better and to do different things and to overcome and to conquer. Whereas like for women, you guys just aren't supposed to experience the trauma in the first place. And it's your father's job or it's the men in your life's job to make sure that you never experience that trauma. And if you do experience that trauma, typically men find it undesirable because now they have to solve problems they didn't, they didn't create. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you say that that goes either way? Like, I don't think anyone wants to be with a traumatic. No, I mean, most of the time guys that are going through it don't end up in relationships until they're done going through it. Yeah. Unless a girl is just that down for you where she's like totally supportive and she's like, I know you've been through some shit, but like, I'm here to help you rise from the ashes and go through it because I believe in you. That's like, that's the best shit ever. You know, that's the stuff that will turn a guy who's really down bad into some really successful man. But at the same time, not everybody responds the same way. Some dudes will still take that support and believe they don't deserve it and then still be terrible. Um, but other dudes will take that support and, you know, rise from the ashes like, you know, like she wants them to. So it really depends on the person, I would say. But realistically, most success stories as far as men come from like rough beginnings where it's like he's been through some shit and then he's become better because of it, because he's toughed through it, um, you know, and he's used it as fuel and transformed that um, pain into something that is brilliant, where I, you don't see women do that as often. Usually when women have emotional baggage or a lot of trauma, uh, it's more of an inconvenience for the guy. Her behaviors tend to change. A guy who's been through some shit just won't take no shit. You know, gets things yeah. done when he needs to get things done. He knows that everything that's ever gone wrong in his life or anything that's ever like been traumatic for him is his fault. And that he has played a role in every single thing that's ever happened bad to him in his life. And he's taken responsibility and fixed problems that have that have arisen. Uh, most of the time for women, they don't view it that way. It's not exactly the same. So they don't recover 
from it exactly the same. And then usually they end up with behaviors like combativeness, disagreeableness, argumentativeness, um, disobedience, um, you know, more like independent uh, driven motivations um, where like they don't want to rely on a man. They, you know, feel like, you know, they can't trust you because they couldn't trust the last guy. Um, all those things are just like undesirable for men and they make our lives difficult and they make our job of taking care of you more difficult. So if we have the choice, which I mean, most men don't, but you know, if we do have the choice, a lot of men still do, we would choose the girl without the baggage over the girl that has the baggage for yeah. those reasons, because of the way that she behaves. Um, normally for women, like they actually, they want a specific type of guy and that guy usually never becomes that guy without the baggage. Can you say that again, that last sentence? Yeah, um, women usually want a specific type of guy and that guy never becomes that guy without hardships and baggage and trauma. That yeah, I yeah, I can I can attest to that. And I think it's just for for women just talking to other women and then for what I've experienced in my life, I think what you said, if the guy's going through it, he doesn't really do as well in a dating context. I think that's a big thing you know because I've met so I've gone on on dates with so many guys who have been through it and I'm like I love they've been in the army or whatever and I love that so I like what you're saying about we we want someone who's like been through it and learned a lot I love that but just the way that they're behaving I'm like this isn't this is not I want someone who's a little bit more currently like stable in the present moment and has like been through it like you say somebody who's already been through it and yeah through it, not someone who's currently through it. going through it and this is also why you typically see throughout history, the age gap. You see older men with younger women. You see even on the dating apps, the majority of men that are getting the right swipes are like 35 to 38 years old. And the girls that are getting most of the right swipes are 18 to 21. Uh, Whoa. 18 to 21. <laughs> like, you know, you end up seeing that age gap in preference. Like most men, no matter what, prefer younger girls because they've been less ran through or like they have less baggage or they're more, you know, innocent and pure and young and coachable and malleable. Whereas like, and beautiful and young and youthful and fertile, um, you know, healthy for raising babies, et cetera. And then as girls get older, you know, they're less fertile. They have more difficulties having kids. You know, they've been with other men already and been taught by other men and influenced by other men. Um, when you have sex with a man as a girl, you're more emotionally and like intellectually influenced by him because you're basically downloading him. Mm -hmm. He's like the flash drive that's plugging into your CPU and you are like literally downloading <laughs> So like a girl that, that has been through lots of dudes, like we don't like that because we want to be the one to show you everything. We want yeah. you to learn everything you know from us, not other dudes that you've been with in the past. So a girl who thinks she knows shit because she learned it some, from some other doofus that it didn't work out with, like we don't like that, you know? Um, and it's not like every dude is out here expecting girls to be virgins, but like the higher the body count gets, it's like most of the time we don't even have to ask you what it is to know what it is because the behaviors change. Like the way that a girl carries herself is different when she's a virgin compared to when she has three bodies compared to when she has 20 bodies or 40 bodies. So it's like, most of the time, we don't even have to, we don't even have to ask you. Most of the time girls lie about it anyway. But I mean, that just shows how important it is because girls, you know, say it's not important, but then they lie about it. It's definitely important because you literally download the guy that you're with and it affects you. It, he's with you for life. So it's like for women, having sex with a man is like a for life. Like you are downloading information from him. You are being like, you know, picking up on him forever. And it's one of those things, like, especially if you have sex consistently with someone, like you date a man, like you start using his lingo, you start using his mannerisms, you start doing the same ticking shit that he does. Like all of the stuff like kind of gets downloaded into your subconscious. And as a man, when we're looking for the woman who's going to be like our wife, like forever, you know, it's one of those things where like, 
we kind of want her to download our shit. Not we don't want like you know we don't want to have to delete his shit off the hard drive before we put our shit in. We want a fresh hard drive that's ready for our stuff. Um, and that's just you know biology, kind of like a subconscious thing. Most guys will never verbalize it that way, but that's like subconsciously the way that it that it is, and that's like the mechanism behind it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And based on some of the responses I've gotten in my audience, that's rang true. Um, like I was really nervous to bring up the. I've slept with a lot of people. I'm 31. I've slept with. I've done like a quite a bit of partying in my earlier days, like high school to college. I would say I slept with like a decent amount of people. Mm-hmm. But I was really nervous to bring up the fact that I think a lot of girls have it backwards in a way. Like I was nervous to bring up the fact that I don't. I have like no experience with like sober, really connective, awesome spiritual sex. Zero experience mm-hmm. with that really at all because it's all been like partying. You know, when I was like not into spiritual topics and I just wanted comfort, I would sleep with a guy. You know. So it was like pretty unconscious sex. Mm. And I don't know anything about connective sex now. And here we are, right? I'm trying to learn about all of this. So I was nervous to tell my audience, like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm really doing. Even though I talk about sex all the time, I don't know. That's why I'm talking about it all the time. It's not like I'm an expert. Guys really loved that in my in my community. Mm. And I was surprised that they were like, that's kind of hot that you you don't know any of the like any of these things that we're talking about. And I think a lot of women think that they're supposed to be experienced. Yeah. And honestly, we don't like when girls are like if even though you've been with like a decent amount of dudes, it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, you still don't really know what you're doing. You still want to learn from me. I like that. Mm-hmm. It's that's pretty much what it is. It's that humility and that humbleness and that like coachability where it's like, you know, I don't think I know it all. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of like, mm-hmm. I think I know it all mentality. Dudes hate that. Oh. If you show up like. You know, if you brag about where you've been and, oh, I've been to Dubai and I've been on yachts and whatever, that's turn off. We hate that. We don't <laughs> think you're cool for doing all this shit. We want to be the one to show you all the cool shit. So, like, the more that you've done prior to meeting us, the less we like it for the most part. Um, and, you know, that's why, you know, we like younger women. They've done less. They, there's more for us to show them. And it's not like a, it's not like a bad thing where we're like, kind of like scumbags where we're like, oh, we don't like it because you've had a cool life experiences. It's more like, oh damn, you've been on a jet ski. Now it's not going to be as cool when I take you on a jet ski. You know, like that's really what it comes down to. That's the the reason why we think that way. That's cute. Okay. I like all of this. Men are romantic and loving and like wanting to be nurturing in in different ways. But um, society kind of gives us a bad rap because the mechanisms or the the ways that we go about like enforcing those desires of ours are commonly demonized in the whole feminist movement. And we're you know taught that certain things like telling your girl she can't go out or or setting boundaries or laying down rules is something that's viewed as toxic when it's really like, you know, the intentions are absolutely and utterly pure. Yeah, a lot of what you're explaining makes so much sense to me. And I it's really changing my view on a lot of this stuff because I would kind of think it's nah. I don't know. I'm I'm already kind of into the protective thing, but it the way you explain the protectiveness, I think there are some situations that before I would have thought are toxic, but now I will respect more. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah. Um okay, so I've been like kind of selfishly picking your brain for my own gain here for on the ladies' side, but let's get into some of these questions that our audience has asked. Okay. Cool. 
non-ejaculatory sex has been a big topic so I would love it if you could go into that a little bit more so like semen retention masturbation and porn too that's a big topic because like folks in the raw meat world they're trying to stop watching porn so I want to hear your your view on all this okay um to prevent me from rambling on and on and on uh, let's divide that into a couple sectors. Give me like one you want to do first. Like we could do non-ejaculatory sex. We could do semen retention. We can do porn um, or like what narrow it, narrow it down for me a little bit. Okay. Or let's just ask go. maybe some of the questions on there, like some of the specific questions. Yeah. They, they kind of worded it like that. Like, for example, okay. why would you not, why, why do you think ejaculating is important? Why are you against non-ejaculatory sex? Okay. Um, first, I think non-ejaculatory sex sometimes is cool. Uh, I don't think every time you have sex, you need to ejaculate. I think there are certain contexts where it's better not to, um, depending on your experience with ejaculation. Like for me, for an example, me personally, when I first was done retaining and I started busting nuts again, my refractory period was significantly longer and it was a lot more draining. Think of it like working out. So, you know, a lot of the semen retention people say, you know, oh, ejaculating is you're using a lot of life force. Like, you know, you're you're letting go of a lot of energy. It costs so much energy to do that. Think of it from the same context as lifting weights, right? Deadlifting and squatting and doing heavy lifting, right? That uses a lot of life force and a lot of energy, right? And if you don't do it often, the first couple of times you do it, you're going to get really sore and it's going to like your muscles are going to need longer recovery time, right? So busting a nut is the exact same thing, right? If you're not using that muscle, if you're not consistently busting nuts and then you bust a nut, you get that soreness or you get that, you know, kind of like longer recovery time. But when you lift weights often and you're going four or five times a week, you stop getting sore. You start to feel really fucking good when you lift. And that kind of like half soreness where you like stretch and it feels amazing and it's like your whole body is you like feeling euphoric. It's kind of like similar when you ejaculate often you don't get that same soreness and you don't need that long recovery time. So a lot of these semen retention guys that demonize ejaculation and they're like, yeah, I, you know, I do semen retention, but when I nut, I feel like shit. Well, no shit. You don't do it enough. So when you do do it, it's like a big burden on your body because your body's not used to it. The mechanism to replenish what's being used isn't strong yet. It's not built. So the more that you do it, the more you have the capacity to do it. The more you expend energy in any capacity, the more capacity you have to expend energy. So when it comes to busting nuts and the frequency of it, I think the more that you do it, the better you get at doing it, the better your body gets used to recovering at, from doing it. So that's really important to consider. If you are coming off semen retention and going back into busting nuts again, non-ejaculatory sex can be helpful to do it like sometimes. So like when I was first transitioning back out of semen retention, I would like bust a nut once and then like do non-ejaculatory sex, maybe a day or two or three, and then bust a nut again. And then like work my way back to busting more nuts. Um, and that was more so like, just because the ability, you know, after a year of semen retention, I had serious difficulties busting nuts consistently. I had to like get my body used to doing it again. I wasn't even able to do it like twice in a day if I wanted to, or like even like in the beginning, twice in a week, I couldn't even do it. So it was one of those things where like your body needs to adjust over time. And I mean, when you're young, you build up this mechanism on your own. Cause when you're 14, 15, you're horny as shit and you're just busting nuts everywhere. Like no matter what, it's like unbearable. So it's like, you're setting yourself up in those younger adolescent years to be able to have that sexual performance and stamina. But a lot of times one, we get into porn too hard and porn kind of uh, skews mentally. Like, you know um, what is it? Psychogenic ED 
is a real thing. So it's like porn, you know, transitions your mind into a state where like real sex isn't stimulate stimulating enough for you to like come. So that's a huge issue for dudes. And another one is, I mean, in, in addition to that, like we're just not having enough sex. Like dudes just don't have enough sex once they get into like, you know, their older years and semen retention, you know, compromise basically throws in the towel of all the work you've done to build up your sexual performance and to lower your refractory period. Semen retention basically throws away all the progress you've made. Now, I mean, premature ejaculation is also an issue on the other side of the spectrum. Semen retention and non-ejaculatory sex can be beneficial for learning. So like when you learn some of these tantric things, like the pelvic floor exercises, like controlling the trigger and like making sure that you're not busting nuts by accident, knowing that it's a decision and consciously deciding when and where you do it is definitely valuable so that you can last as long as you want. You can pleasure your girl. You can do what you need to do, get the job done, clap cheeks. And then when it's time, then you can flip the switch back and bust a nut when you want to. So, I mean, for me personally, it was a big journey to learn, um, you know, a lot of times like learning how to like last longer was kind of the easy part for me. The harder part for me was learning how to nut at the end. Cause it's like, once you decide to flip that switch and you're like, I'm lasting forever, I'm not coming. Like we're in this for the long run. I'm going for an hour. Then at the end of the hour, you're like, how do I flip the switch back? Now I want to come and I can't. And that's, that, that was the hardest part for me learning to, to do that at the end. Um, and it's interesting too, because, you know, these guys are like, oh, I could last long. Like I could pleasure any girl, like whatever. I could make any girl come. I could fuck her long enough, like whatever. Cool. But like, are you satisfied at the end? Not really. You know, because if we look at our hormones, prolactin is responsible for our feelings of self-satisfaction and, you know, relaxation and overall just like feeling satisfied. So when you don't come, you don't get the prolactin spike. You don't feel satisfied. Um, and I will definitely attest to that personally, especially through my longer streaks of semen retention, you really start to dissociate from the satisfaction of sex and you start to be less motivated to have sex because you're like, sex isn't that good for me. I'm never satisfied anymore. And it's an ego stroke. Don't get me wrong to like make girls come and last long enough and like do what you got to do. But like at the end, you're like, damn, I wish I could just come at the end. And a lot of times it's a mental thing where like you're torturing yourself. You're deciding not to. It's not even like you can't do it. It's like you're deciding not to do it. And then eventually when you decide not to do it long enough, it gets more and more difficult to do it if you ever do decide to do it. So what did you do to be able to find that balance? Um, I stopped demonizing ejaculating. I started just, you know, I was already having sex a lot while I was doing the semen retention. Like I was never one of these like celibacy guys. I was all about the non-ejaculatory sex. Mm -hmm. So it was, I was always having sex and just always, you know, not busting nuts. And then eventually I just changed that decision. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start busting nuts now. And then I did everything exactly the same. All of the non-ejaculatory sex, like skills that I learned, all of the other stuff, all the, you know, certain positions are better for this, whatever. Like I still do all of that, but at the end I just bust a nut and it's just way better for me. And honestly, girls like it better too. They don't like when they can't get you to nut. I was just going to say girls love it. Like we want you guys they love to come. It. And when you yeah. think about it, it's like both partners everyone that I've been with who I've enjoyed being with and like everyone who I know wants both people to come. Like, that's the point you're connecting. Exactly. And then dudes are like, Oh, it makes you weak. It makes you tired. The girl wants that after you bust a nut and you get that prolactin spike, she gets the oxytocin spike. So she's all like lovey dovey, like emotionally attached, connected to you. And you're like, yeah, all right, I'm just going to lay here. Like you can cuddle me and girls love it. It's the way it's designed to be. And our bodies give us those signals and hormone shifts for a reason. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, denying our nature does us no good from my experience and in my opinion.
Okay. And cool. based on the data. Okay. Someone asked, since men have a 24 hour hormonal cycle, should they ejaculate every 24 hours? Would you recommend like once a day? Did they say ejaculate or ejaculate? Ejaculate. Okay. Um, yeah, once a day is solid. It depends like on where you're at. If you've been doing semen retention for a long time, work your way up. Um, realistically, the healthier you are, the more nourished you are, the more like in tune, like health wise you are, the more you'll be able to nut and still go about your day. You should never be doing it too much where you actually feel like shit because you're doing it too much. That being said, the healthier you are, the more capacity you have to do it. I would say if you're like in prime time health, you're the man, you could do like at least three to five nuts a day. Um, and that would be like, like recommended or do you just do it based on that's like, like the end goal. So I'm not telling a lot of diet guys just to do that. I'm saying as you work your way up the end goal, like by the time, like you have the ability to have sex three to five times a day with girls or like with your wife, then at that point, that is like max capacity. Like if you can do that, good for you type shit. But I think for the average person, um, like three or four times a week is solid. Um, once a day is definitely okay. Um, it depends, like I said, on your capacity. A lot of people are, you know, malnourished, uh, deficient in different nutrients and whatnot. So at that point, you know, not, not eating enough, not eating the right things or enough of the right things or too much of the wrong things. So in that regard, like your capacity to be able to do it and stay healthy are going to be lower. Um, but in general, your sex drive is going to be lower. I would say every time that you have a burning desire to bust a nut, bust a nut. If you're horny as fuck every single day, do it. If you're already busting a nut every day and you're still horny again after you bust a nut every day, do it again. It's kind of like, listen to your body, you know? And as you get healthier, as you start doing more things right, you'll want to bust a nut more often. And then you will. But it's not one of these things like don't force yourself to do it more and more for the sake of doing it more and more. It's a result of doing things right, not the cause of the things getting right after you do it. Yeah, I love that description. That's a really clear guideline. Um, okay. All right. So what about masturbation and porn? Uh, let's start with masturbation to break it down a little bit more. Okay. Um, Is it different than being with someone? Cause you, cause you mentioned when you were describing what you do and your outlook on all of this, you said even masturbation, you didn't like totally group it in with having sex with a woman. How do you, obviously it's different, but like, what are your thoughts on that? So it is different uh, because, like I said, prolactin is that hormone that makes us feel uh, accomplished and satisfied. Uh, you get four times more of a prolactin spike from having sex with a woman than you do from jerking off. So masturbating is less satisfying, and that's undeniable. Um, and that's partly because, you know, you are you didn't accomplish anything. You didn't conquer the territory. You didn't actually do it. But, you know, you're a little you still get a prolactin spike. You still have a refractory period because your body is also giving you that feeling of satisfaction. So you stop and you don't continue to do it. Um, it's like, we did, we did enough of the good thing. Now we're done. We released, we're good. Like stop, stop touching your dick. But, um, <laughs> I mean, realistically, like, you know, uh, men, human men have been feeding their meat since the beginning of time. Like we've gone over, I mean, 17 women reproduce for every one man that reproduces. What did all of those other 16 men do? They're jerking off, yeah. you know? So like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't always have sexual access, especially for younger men. Like you're not, the booty call is not going to come over every single time. I guarantee you, you will have, even guys that have lots of sex in their twenties, like you still have nights where they don't come through and where you don't have an option and you're still horny as fuck. So you can jerk off and it's not the end of the world. Um, it is natural and normal. Um, 
porn comes into play a little differently. I like to say, like, if you're horny enough where you can bust a nut just from your imagination without porn, then you are horny enough to watch porn. <laughs> if you know, so at that point, it's like you shouldn't be forcing yourself to bust a nut when you're not that horny um, by watching porn and overstimulating, et cetera, because that's when you kind of fuck up your brain, et cetera. But I mean, as far as like watching other people have sex or something, it's, I mean, I'm not a huge advocate for watching other guys have sex with girls. It's kind of like cucking. It's one of those things like, you know, you should never really watch another man fuck a girl, in my opinion. Um, so for me, like personally, like the only porn. Um, well, it's one of those things that's like less dominant. It's like you're training your brain to like get used to losing. It's like you're watching the other guy conquer the territory. So personally, like I just make my own videos with girls and I just watch myself. Um, so like that's what I usually recommend do is to do like make your own porn and watch your own porn. Um, it's a lot better than watching other people's porn. And, you know, if for these dudes that are on OnlyFans, like subscribing and shit, like you save money. Um, but realistic, I mean, porn up is free, so it doesn't really matter anyway. But, um, you know, a lot of these dudes like, you know, they say, oh, porn is free, but you guys are paying for these girls OnlyFans. Look how much money they make. You guys are paying for the shit and you know that you are. But um, anyway, it's one of those things where it's like, just make your own, you know, and and you don't have to like make an OnlyFans because you made videos with the girls Like keep it to yourself. Keep an album in your cam in your phone and just use it for yourself. And that's it. Nobody else has to use it or see it or whatever. It's your stuff. Um, and it's still like your territory. It still feels like better knowing that, like, at least, you know, you still did it. And it's like you have like a recollection of a memory as opposed to like watching another dude conquer territory that you wish you were conquering. It's less defeating. Um, it's less subconsciously like rewiring. Um, and uh, what else would I say on that? I mean, that's pretty much it. I feel like, I mean, the actual act of watching other people, like watching people have sex isn't necessarily harmful. I mean, even though it's illegal, like if people were having sex outside and you were walking by or driving by, like you would look and you'd be like, oh, look at them. That's, <laughs> you know, like, it's not like not really the end of the world. It is exciting to see other people have sex. There are couples that watch porn together. Um, you know, it is like a natural thing. We do just like watching other people have sex. Like it is kind of cool. Um, but personally, you know, like I said, I really don't like to watch other dudes like with girls. It's kind of like a turnoff for me. Like I don't like it as much. So I just like, you know, make my own porn and watch videos of myself. Um, and I usually recommend that to the guys in my program. If you're going to, if you're going to jerk off and if you're going to do porn, like make your own and then watch that. And then you have control over what you like and what you get to like record. And you know what I mean? Like you can, you know, set it up that way. And a lot of girls are actually open to it where they're like, you know, um, you know, I'm, I, you know, you don't want me to get with other girls. So it's like, can we like make videos? So when you're not here, like I can jerk off to them. It's kind of like, you know, some girls will be flattered. Some girls will be like, what the fuck? And other girls will be like, oh, I actually like that. So it depends. Like, you know, especially if you have a girlfriend and your girlfriend like doesn't live with you or something like that, like definitely start making videos. And then you can use that as like jerk off fuel when she's not around. And then, you know, she has peace of mind that it's like, oh, he's not going to fuck other girls. Like he's just going to jerk off to videos of me and everybody wins. And then you still get to bust nuts when she's not there and it's all good. Um, so that's, that's my perspective on it. I don't think it should be nearly as demonized as it is. However, it has just like anything, the propensity to be overdone and to turn into like an addiction type thing. But again, it's one of those things where it's like the porn isn't the problem. Like the porn isn't the cause of the porn addiction. There's always underlying issues. And when you're addicted to anything, there's always an underlying issue. Like crack isn't the reason why people get addicted to crack. Heroin isn't the reason why people get addicted to heroin. It's just the mechanism that they use to to suffer, to uh, numb or to cope with what they're dealing with. So normally, if you have a porn addiction, quitting porn doesn't make it better. 
you have to identify the thing that is causing the porn addiction and what you're running away from and seeking comfort in that porn with. Um, so again, porn isn't really the issue. It's, it's not the underlying issue rather. It's the, um, it's the result of the issue as opposed to the issue itself. Makes sense. Makes and the same sense. thing goes for like, you know, if you're going to try to get someone off heroin and you're just going to tell them stop doing heroin, how's that going to work? You know what I mean? It never works. So it's one of those things where like you have to really get to the underlying issue and solve it and then see as the porn, you know, the desire to keep doing it like kind of fades over time. And for most guys with porn addictions, it's loneliness. I would say loneliness or feeling of feelings of inadequacy. So like go to the gym, get confident, like actually go talk to girls, like actually go get laid. That usually fixes it for most dudes because most guys with porn addictions that are way overdoing it with the porn don't actually get girls. So it's like once you actually start getting girls, like you can do porn or jerk off occasionally and it's not that big of a deal. It's like not a huge issue for you because you're not addicted to it. You're not jerking off 17 times in a day. It's like, oh, I'm horny today. None of the girls that I texted are answering me back. Like, I don't have an option today. Like, fuck it. I'm just going to jerk off, scratch the itch, and go back to my life and do what I got to do. Like, you know, keep it moving. So it's one of those things where, like, you know, if it's a crutch in your life and it's really negatively impacting you, then maybe you should make changes. But for some people, and honestly, for a lot of driven, successful, like, men that do get a lot of pussy, it's one of those things where it's like, you do jerk off occasionally. It's like, you know, it's not the end of the world. You're not a loser because you decided to beat your meat once. It's not really the end of the world. And I feel like it's so heavily demonized in the semen retention community. And I mean, there was a, like a study or a data collection thing where they scoured the internet for lots of different like topics and niches. Um, and they measured the amount of misinformation um, in each of like the niche topics. And semen retention was the number one niche topic filled with the most information on the internet. Wow. Surprising. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm not surprised because now when I look at the, the information on semen retention and I look at all the data and the studies, like, most of the things that most of these semen guys retain, the, the most of the things that these semen retention guys are saying is completely backed by nothing. And it's like literally all of them regurgitating the same thing. Like Andrew Huberman made a mistake on a podcast and said that semen retention raises testosterone 400%. And it's literally not true. Like it was a mistake. And I am surprised that he didn't come out and say that he made a mistake. I think realistically, he just like messed up a little bit and made a mistake. But um, he, the fact that he never went back and corrected the mistake to the public is kind of like disingenuous in my opinion. And I like Andrew Huberman and he has a lot of good information, but that one was like a hundred percent, like incorrect. There is no study ever showing that semen retention ever raised testosterone 400%, which is honestly preposterous to think about. It would never happen. Like usually like something like, you know, even training, like an average thing, like four, like, like a hundred percent increase is like rare. Like you have to do an insane workout to do that. Or you have to have like seriously, um like not even like good sex like really good sex with like the hottest girl ever to get a hundred percent increase to double your testosterone or you have to be competing against someone way better than you be the complete underdog and have a complete upset victory to get that much of a spike in testosterone so i mean semen retention is not it's not realistic that semen retention would do that and either way i mean the data the other data the actual study that i think he misinterpreted was it was actually a 45% increase in testosterone from semen retention. And it took seven days to take place. And it went back to baseline after a day. And then the guys that there was two groups, one guy actually, uh, or one group of guys busted a nut when it was at the peak. And then the other group kept retaining the whole time. And then the group that busted a nut at the peak got another spike the next week. And the group that kept retaining didn't ever get another spike. Mm -hmm. So just interesting data, but that was the study. And it was a 45% increase 
But in the abstract, it said that testosterone went up to 145% of baseline, specifically 145.7% of baseline. But that doesn't mean it went up 145%. It says of baseline. So that just means it went up 45.7%, which is honestly like not very significant. It's not really that impressive. If you have sex with girls, I mean, there's studies that show um, from actual sex with girls, like the average increase in testosterone is like 70 to 100%. So it's like, you know, if you have the opportunity, if you're, if you're specifically going for a testosterone thing, for you to wait a week to get one day of 45% increase of testosterone, rather than just like having sex right now and getting double that, like, why wouldn't you just have sex now and get double that right now? And then if you do that every single day, you get it every single day and you don't have to wait a week every time for it. It's kind of like unrealistic. And I think realistically, the only time that, or the only reason that that spike took place at the one week mark is like, it's your body's been like, oh, you haven't gotten laid in, in a whole week. Like you should probably go get laid. Here's some extra tea to make you motivated and confident so you can go cop cheeks. Like that's really all it's about. So that's what I think um, is behind that mechanism. But that study has also never been repeated. And most good studies that have good data, like they get repeated and there's lots of studies that confirm it. There's, it's literally only one. Um, the sex stuff has been repeated lots of times. There are so many different studies confirming that sex with a woman increases testosterone. There are also other studies that show the refractory period and how hormones are affected by ejaculation. So that's a whole nother topic of discussion. Um, I can show you a graph here. This is what happens to your hormones when you bust a nut. So you have prolactin, dopamine, and testosterone. So dopamine is yellow, testosterone is blue, and prolactin is red. So what happens here is as soon as you are starting to have sex, testosterone and dopamine go up crazy, right? So this is the concept of like ejaculatory sex if or non-ejaculatory sex. If you don't ejaculate, like all oh, your testosterone stays up high, doesn't last that long anyway. It goes back down within an hour or two tops regardless. Um, so that's like, you know, kind of a caveat to the non-ejaculatory sex thing. Um, and then as soon as you bust a nut, prolactin goes up, which downregulates testosterone and dopamine. So... The reason for that is it's designed to make you stop, right? Because testosterone and dopamine are motivation, aggression type things. And, you know, as prolactin goes up, it kind of makes the men softer. So we can cuddle or like be more like gentle in that like 20 minutes post sex. Um, and this is a graph that shows the refractory period from a different study. So this is basically how long it takes for hormones to go back to normal. So the average guy is around 20 minutes above average is closer to 10 minutes. And then this dude was actually one outlier. This legend guy had only a couple <laughs> minutes between, between. And the reason for that was that he actually had an inability to release prolactin. So this actually wasn't a good thing for him, even though like he was able to go again and again and again. It actually wasn't a good thing because he was unsatisfied. Oh, sex, God. Because he wasn't getting prolactin. So, I mean, and he's an outlier. Like that's not like to be expected for your average person. Like every single person watching this probably isn't that guy. Um, so refractory periods are totally normal. Now women have refractory periods too, but they're a lot shorter and they can realistically be as short as only a few seconds, which is why women can keep going and, you know, like come multiple times in a row normally during sex where like men usually are done after one because they're satisfied and they're done. Um, and that's also normal. Um, I mean, some women do need a little bit longer of a refractory period. Like after they come, they need like a second, like give me a second. And then like they stay wet no matter what. And then you can go again if they want. Sometimes they'll go again just for the guy so he can come, even though they don't really want it. They're still wet and they can still do it. Um, so it's a little bit different, obviously, for refractory periods for men and women. Because I mean, I don't really talk about women that much. So I, I'm going to highlight some things here. But uh, that's, yeah, that's the difference for refractory periods. But what were we, what led me to start talking about that? What was the original? Oh, masturbation, I think. But this was something we really wanted to cover. So I'm glad you did. And Nick, do you have a hard out at 2.30? No, I can stay longer. Awesome. Yay, I'm excited. Can we go until 
Yeah, perfect. Yes. Okay, phenomenal. In that case. I mean, honestly, we could go as long as we need to to finish the conversation. Wonderful. I have time, even if it's like three or three fifteen. Oh, sick. Okay. Um. You don't have to rush for me. I I'm good. Yay! I'm stoked. I always set aside extra time for podcasts because I always have a million things to say, not enough time to say it. Same. I appreciate that. I do the same. Yeah. I figured um, it would be that way. Okay. So this was a specific question by one of our audience members. What about swallowing the semen after non-procreation sex slash masturbation for nutrient gain? Because don't forget, we've got some hardcore primal dieters here. They'll try all sorts of shit. Yeah, I've done that a million times. Oh, uh, wow. I definitely. Yeah. Looping your semen is, is cool. I'm not against it. I think if you are masturbating, it's definitely solid. If you are having sex with your girl, I think you're better off letting her swallow it than you swallowing it. Um, I think it's better that way. She likes it that way. Also, I mean, if it's like a girl you're trying to like actually have a relationship with, it's more like her downloading your DNA, like literally like you're putting your stuff in her and she's more uh, receptive to you. Uh, there's also actual free testosterone in semen. So when a girl swallows your cum, she like wants to have sex with you more tends to happen that way. Um, so for guys, that's kind of like a bet you're, you're more bet you're going to benefit more from letting her swallow it than you. But, um, at the same time, either way, it is still nutrients and proteins and enzymes and different things. So it's, it's pretty cool either way. Um, if you are like masturbating, then definitely looping your semen is cool. I actually, if I do masturbate, I do loop it most of the time. Do you... So like, don't, don't do the tissue route. Like you could either go like, sometimes like the first couple of times I did it, I would do it like into like water or milk or something and then like drink it. But I mean, realistically, I've found that it's better. And like me and a couple other dudes that like were experimenting with this at the same time, we're like giving each other feedback. Like, yo, what'd you do? Like, how'd you do it? <laughs> and uh, it, uh, we came to the conclusion that like just doing it right in your hand and then just like licking it off your hand is like the easiest, like mess free way to do it. Just like, you know, make sure that you don't miss your hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you're going to make a mess. I love this. And I think it's a huge mis misconception that women don't like to swallow cum. We love it. They like, do. I think we love it. And realistically, like, I mean, if your cum doesn't taste good to a woman or to yourself, that's like, it's not a good sign. Like, there's something you got to work on. Yeah. And it's like, your cum women. should taste like almost nothing. Like, realistically, it should taste like, I mean, I don't know. Mine tastes like pretty much nothing. But it's interesting, like, I think it tastes like nothing, and it's, like, literally, like, nothing, but some girls say they, like, actually like how it tastes, and I'm, like, that's interesting, because I think it tastes like nothing, so it's, like, either you're capping, or, like, you actually, or you're tasting something I'm not, so I don't know, I don't know what happens with that. That's hot, that's awesome, how cool is it yeah. to have a girl say, like, oh, I love the taste of your cum? Yeah, it's definitely cool. I love it, okay. Mmm... All right, let's hit some more, some more of these questions, and then I have a couple of personal questions for you. Cool. Okay. All right, let's hit this one, and then we'll go into some diet stuff. The hormonal profile of an aggressive woman or man. A lot of people had questions about, like, women's hormones, and I know you don't focus on women, but what, what, what do you know about the hormonal profiles of, like, aggressive people? Um... I will say this. I am not an expert on female hormones. So that is something I've honestly never considered. Um, I would think that it would have something to do with like testosterone to some degree. I mean, women can have high testosterone too. Um, but I can't say for sure. Like nobody quote me on anything like uh, on this topic. I, I can't say for women. I know higher levels of testosterone and higher levels of DHT 
um, which is a metabolite of testosterone, is a like is, is a factor for aggression. And also, I mean, sex. So this is actually an interesting topic. So when you're having sex, men and women feel different things during sex, too. So women tend to become more emotional and men tend to become more aggressive where she's like, you know, oh, my God, I love you so much. Like, oh, my like, whatever. And then, like, he's like, open your mouth. I want to stick my fingers in it or like, I want to choke you. Like, you know, like dudes like become like in that moment, like in that bonding, like sexual moment. It's very different what we feel and what we like and what we want and what our like physical behavioral tendencies are. So like men tend to become more aggressive throughout sex and women tend to become more like emotional and loving. Um, And that's, you know, the difference between testosterone versus like oxytocin. So you guys get that kind of like emotional, like a girl will tell you she loves you like while you're having sex and you're just like, all right, I'm going to smack you. Like, you know, like it's like actually like our natural tendencies bring us to like want those things. Um, So how does it work, Nick? How can we come together and all feel good during sex? Because I think from a women, from a woman's perspective, like I can kind of see where you're going here. And I would, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, but from a woman's perspective, I'm like, I want to be respected, obviously. Mm -hmm. And like, for me, when back in the day, it's so interesting to see like, what I like in the bedroom versus how my health is. I know it's different for everyone, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna note this because I think it may maybe cue you to describe some different topics here in your answer. When I, when my health was really bad mm-hmm. and I was having unconscious sex, I was really into like the BDSM stuff. And like, re- I was aggressive in bed too. Now, totally different. It's like very, I'm, I want the connective sex, not really into the BDSM so much. Um, mm-hmm. But I also want to honor I want to honor what comes naturally to a guy and like find a way to come together in that. So what would be your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say one is definitely communication, knowing what each other likes. And it depends on like what you want in the day. Like some girl, like, you know, I could have sex with the same girl throughout the week and some days like she wants handprints on her legs and then other days she wants lovey sex. So like, it really depends on the day. And honestly, also throughout your ovulatory phase throughout the month, you want different shit. When you're ovulating, you want to get choked. And when you're, you know, menstruating or when you're like you know in some of the more uh, like introverted phases where you want like where you're attracted to the guy with the round face or the less dominant stuff you know if you're still with a dominant guy you want less dominant sex so it's like one of those things where it's like you know sometimes you want softer sex sometimes you want harder sex and that'll fluctuate and also it, it tends to be like in the relationship as well the more you trust a man and appeal to his authority the more that you actually enjoy him being rough with you whereas like if it's a new guy and you don't know him that well you don't want him to be rough with you yet because you don't trust him and you don't know him yet so that's like another thing i guess is a factor um like if you had a boyfriend or a husband that was with you for the last five years like you'd probably Sometimes I like the soft shit. Sometimes I like the hard shit. It's like, realistically, everybody likes both. Um, And honestly, guys, even though we do have that tendency for aggression, we do like being soft too. We like not having to be aggressive sometimes. Um, But most of the time we do like being aggressive. It's a lot more fun for us. Um, (laughs) I mean, and it's just like, you know, the urge to do it is there always, but it's, you know, sometimes it's not there. It depends. And honestly, I feel like our bodies adapt to your body. So it's like, if we're having sex and it's like, kind of like you're not feeling the roughness like we can sense it so like we adjust you know like we're very receptive I feel like a lot of women think they're empath empaths and like pride themselves on being empaths and I feel like men are a lot more receptive to like women's emotions than women are to men's emotions and men are very like able to like hold the space and understand that she's upset and whatever it is and like understand more and feel it out more and adapt accordingly whereas women are usually like soon as they don't care, like, it doesn't matter. It's the coldest shit. Girls will break a man's heart and not give a fuck. 
Um, and I mean, also it's like one of those things, like, I guess they're less open to like, into like receiving like how he's feeling and really getting it. Like there has to be more verbal communication or like, I mean, at least in my experience as a guy, like I have to more tell girls like what I want or what's going on or like how I'm feeling. Whereas like, I could just tell how they're feeling and they can't hide it even if they wanted to. Yeah, that's cool. I actually like that a lot. There's something freeing about that. Cause yeah, you're right. I don't really, I can't really tell with guys. It's hard to tell sometimes. Um, but so then if, if you're having sex with a girl and she wants more like lovey sex, you're just kind of like doing it because she wants it, but you're like, Oh, I want to be more aggressive with her. Well, we could do either. Like we're kind of like, we can do both, but most of the time, like, especially when it gets like close to like, when we're getting close to come, like up to the climax, like then we have that aggressiveness, but that doesn't have to be like, we don't have to choke you or slap you. It can be something like, I just grab you hard. Or it can be something like I grab the pillow behind you hard and flex everything in my body or like, you know what I mean? Or like, it's just the stroke is harder or like something like that, where it's like, there just is like some sort of aggression that gets relinquished in that time. Um, but it's not like, it doesn't need to be necessarily violence. You know, it's like violence isn't the only type of aggression. It could also be verbal. It could be like talking dirty or saying like being aggressive with what you say. Um, things like that. I mean, at, at some, to some level that always pretty much happens, but, um, at the same time, you know, for the girl to come, sometimes you're soft for her. And then she's like, all right, you know, here, do your thing. You got a couple minutes, do your thing. And then you better call me after. <laughs> so like, there is yeah. a way to balance it out. And as long as there's communication and everybody knows what each other needs, then it's like, kind of, we're all good. Yeah, no, I love how you describe that. We like we like a lot of that stuff. Even the people that don't like the BDSM, we we polled about this. We like some sort of yeah, some something yeah, like you don't harder. Need to get tied up and whipped, but like a little, you know, a little grabbing hard or something like it, you know, yeah. every girl likes it to some degree. And if a girl thinks that she doesn't like it, she just hasn't been with a man she actually likes yet. Mm. Mm. Cuz a lot of times like when a girl actually likes you and she like really likes you, you know, she'll do stuff with you that she hasn't done with any dude she's ever done in the past and be like, what the fuck just happened? I've never done that. <laughs> yeah. And, and then like, the guys love that, right? Because it's their first time. Yep, exactly. And we like to show girls things for the first time or be the first one to do something with the girl. So it's like, it's a win-win for everybody. This sounds fun. I love it. I love it. I think, I think when women get turned off by men talking about how they're different than women and all that, there just needs to be like a longer conversation or something because like, you know what I'm saying? Because at first I'm hearing you and it's like, I have to process it's, it's, this is a big yeah. conversation for Definitely. me. I really have to process a lot of this stuff and, and, you know, get more familiar with it. But when I hear you talk about it for a long enough time, I'm like, that makes so much sense. Exactly. And us being different is a good thing. It doesn't mean that like men are better than women and like, you know, it's like one of the, we're like putting you guys down by saying you're not as cool as us or whatever. Like, it's not, it's not like that. It's kind of, it's not like, oh, men and women aren't the same. So we get to do whatever the fuck we want. You guys don't. It's like, we're different. We have different strengths, different weaknesses. When we understand each other better and acknowledge that we're different, we can work together and do better things together than we would have done separately. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay. Switching topics. What about urine therapy? I had multiple people ask me to ask you about this. Uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> All right, uh, be more specific. 
they they're we don't have a super specific audience i think they wanted to like leave it open for you have you tried urine therapy i don't know about your history with urine therapy it's big in the raw primal world people wash their hair with urine they um, pee on their face for better skin um there's a lot of people that take urine internally for biofeedback i don't know where you are in this arena yeah i've done all the things i have put urine therapy on the map in a lot of ways. I was a huge advocate for it throughout the last few years. I don't post as much about it now because it's not niche specific to what I'm offering, but um, I've been and still am a huge advocate for it in every sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've done all of it. I've done all of the urine therapy for health, urine therapy in the bedroom, urine therapy for like cleaning out your sinuses and snorting it to like get rid of congestion, putting it in your hair, in my beard, sunbathing after sun enemas um you know girls drinking out the tap like everything um you know so i'm an advocate for all of it for different reasons a lot of it has different uh uses and a lot of it is more practical than others now more than ever i use the top i use it topically i can use it for skin or like after i get a haircut i'll use it like where i get like the razor so i don't like get ingrown hairs and shit mm -hmm. um I don't really drink it that much anymore. I used to drink it a lot when I was doing a lot of fasting, kind of like one of those things where it's like, if I'm not taking anything in, like I try not to let as much out as possible. So it was like looping everything in. So I don't lose as much weight. Um, I did a lot of extreme fasting stuff where like people that have done fast that I've done die. And I feel like urine therapy and semen retention at the time definitely saved me. Um, but now at the time where I'm doing the things that I'm doing, I eat a lot. I train really hard. You know, I bust nuts and I don't feel like I need to drink my pee as much because I'm eating two steaks every day. Nice. Let's talk about urine therapy in the bedroom. I don't know anything about this. Uh, it's hit or miss depending on the girl. Um, some girls absolutely love it. Some girls don't. Um, it's never been something that I've gone out of my way to be like, I want to do it. It's more so like girls knew me as like the UT guy and like were interested and like wanted to like, you know, do some shit. So like, I don't know, girls have drank my pee. Um, a lot of girls have drank my pee. Um, <laughs> some girls like getting peed on. Um, some girls uh, that's pretty much the, the full extent of it i would say i mean there was there's times like my ex like when she would get congested like i would just pee into her nose so she could like instead of snorting her own like in a cup she liked it better with the pressure of me like peeing into her nose um so i mean yeah i mean that's pretty much the fullest extent of it i mean some people like i've done actually um i've peed inside a girl oh. to like when she's on her period or something like to clean her out um things like that after, um, I mean, I've never done this or taken the risk, but I would say like, if you, you know, like come in a girl and you don't want to get her pregnant, like you can probably wash her out. Uh, it's kind of like douching, but, um, good luck. Like that's a skill that needs to be acquired. Peeing with a boner is no easy task, mm -hmm. especially peeing in a boner, like while you're inside of vagina. So that's something like you got to get used to. And like the pressure is a little weird. Um, and I mean, I've never, every time that I've ever done that, it's actually two girls that I've done that to, and they both loved it and said it was amazing. I, for me, it, it doesn't really do much for me. It's not like, I'm not like, Oh, that was so amazing. It was like, all right, I guess I'll be in you. But, um, <laughs> it's, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> I haven't done that in a long time. It hasn't really been my thing lately, but, um, there was a time where I was like about it and the girls were about it. So it just, it just happened. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's, there's no harm to it. There's no harm of it, especially if you're hydrated. Like if your pee is like pretty clear, like at the time, like my pee was super clear. Like I was drinking mad juice every day and shit. And I was like, super like overhydrated so my pee was like basically clear so it like didn't really taste like nothing and it was like you know it wasn't like gross by any means
are there health benefits to you peeing on someone else? Um, it's kind of like, I mean, your pee is a derivative of your blood. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like them swallowing your semen in a sense. Like if they're drinking your pee or if you pee on them, it's kind of like one of those things. But I guess girls think it feels, it feels good. You know, it's like warm and it's like, you know, they're like taking you. It's, I guess, one of those scenarios where it's like a submissive thing. It's like, I'm letting them pee on me. Um, I do, I've, most of the time that I've done that, it's been in the shower where it's like post-sex and it's just like, I got to pee. And then I'll just like start peeing on your leg or something. And girls like get down and be like, yeah, give me, give me your pee. Um, it's, it's interesting to say the least. Um, I don't think it's something anyone needs to be doing, but it's something that like could spice things up or make things fun. Um, if you're already like about urine therapy like that. Um, and I mean, I'm at a place where like, I really don't think pee is gross at all. Like it's been, you know, like I've done literally everything you could possibly do with your pee with my pee. Um, and I mean, my pee is like basically tasteless and smellless most of the time. Uh, it's pretty like clear for the most part. Like I drink a lot of water and a lot of like coconut water and milk and whatnot. So, I mean, my pee is pretty clear all the time and I, I use it whenever I feel like I need to. It's not one of those things that I feel like I do it all the time anymore where I used to do it all the time. And like I said, that was because of the fasting stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. This is, this is all new to me, but I will say, I have to attest to this, never said this before, but I think I would be into that. Like there is something hot about that, even though it seems like for me in my mind, it seems like pretty out there sexually. That's what makes it hot. I feel like, because it, it feels like out of the ordinary and like something that's like devious and like, not like what normal people do. So yeah. there's like a hot aspect to it being like reckless. Yeah, I think so. And then there's a big dominance factor there, like he said. Yeah, like I'm not a big fan of like drinking girls pee or like getting peed on by a girl. Like some dudes like that. It's not my thing. I never liked it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's always been, I mean, I've never really done it because it's just like, I don't know the idea of it. I'm like, I'm good on that. I feel like I want you to download me. Like I don't need to drink your pee. Like, I don't know. It's just like a personal thing with me. Like I just always prefer to be, you take me. I'm not trying to take you. Mm -hmm. have you always been like that nick like what like with that mentality just preferred dominance in the bedroom most people that i pulled in my audience it's they say 50 50 um i'd say it's like 90 10 i think occasionally it's randomly fun when a girl is like more aggressive or like if she gets on top or things like that but most of the time like there's never like a whole sex time where like i am completely not dominant and it's, you've always liked it that way. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I mean, okay. I know some guys prefer different, but for me, that's like, I don't know. I never felt right. I always felt weird after sex when I'm not dominant. Whereas okay. like after sex, if I'm more dominant, like I feel better about myself and I feel like the, I don't know, maybe it's hormonally, but like, I feel like more satisfied and more like, I feel like more, I don't know, proud afterwards when I'm more dominant as opposed to like afterwards, I'm like, damn, I just got fleeced. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem more primal for sure for the man to be more dominant so I was surprised with the results actually when people said no I like I like a woman to be dominant sometimes but yeah, yeah it's like a sometimes like 10% of the time I would say okay okay um someone mentioned fruit eating and milk does that just go hand in hand with the urine therapy or I mean I don't know maybe Fruit I eating think, and uh, milk. I mean, I like mixing fruit and milk, especially orange juice and milk. Bang in combo. Okay. I've never heard that. Bang in combo. <laughs> um, why? Is it 
do does it just taste good to you are there any hormonal health benefits um not specifically hormones i mean there is i forget a long time ago i learned from somebody like they suggested that i do it because i had like i was dealing with some digestive stuff like heartburn type shit Mm -hmm. and uh they said it would like make the orange juice like easier to digest because the milk would kind of like soothe the like acidness from the orange juice which worked but um, for me, like, I feel like the major thing is it's just a banging combo. Like, it just tastes good. Nice. Okay, I'm going to try that. Sounds I don't good. promote it for, like, a specific reason. I, I just say it's it's banging because it is. But now my new thing is maple syrup with milk. Oh, my God. That's when I went up to Vermont to snowboard recently, they had places where, like, you know, where they make the maple syrup and stuff. So they, uh, they had, like, milk with the maple syrup in it. And I was like, this is actually the craziest shit I've had in a minute. <laughs> Twelve. Like, so now I just like got lots of cereal from Vermont. And I just stay putting that in my milk. I also put it in my water when I'm working out and stuff like maple syrup all day long. <laughs> I do milk and honey all the time, like on the primal diet. And it's so good. I love honey. I don't like doing it in, in liquids though, because with the cold, it like clumps up. Like the, the yeah. texture is like not as good. It's annoying. So I do honey in hot drinks. So if I make like tea or in my coffee, I'll do honey instead. Um, and then I do maple syrup and cold drinks. So like water or like milk or like something like that. I'll do um, maple syrup instead. Mm, yum. Or I'll well, do like a spoonful of honey straight up and then like wash it down with milk like before bed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have a whole system. I like get it really warm, get my room warm, get the milk warm and then mix the honey in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Okay. So you do warm milk with honey. Yeah, like I just let it sit out at room temperature and the, the temperature in my house is warm. So it like melts. Nice. I didn't even think of that. That's makes sense. Good move. All the like ogenous tricks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Last, I think, wow, we hit all of the we hit all of the audience questions with this one. What does it mean when a man gets angry after sex or orgasm? That sounds scary um that's a good question that really shouldn't happen it means realistically he's probably not getting the prolactin spike he's he might be an outlier or he you know didn't um he didn't come and not ejaculatory sex you could be aggressive or angry because you're frustrated you didn't come and you're not satisfied um it could also be like underlying stuff like if you're already mad at your girl and you have sex and you bust a nut like it doesn't last that long where you like her you're back to like being mad um where it's like you know i just fucked you but like i'm still mad at you like yeah. my shit list type thing you're in the doghouse still but um other than that i mean I, it's not really a common phenomenon for a guy to bust a nut after sex and then get mad i pulled the folks in my instagram and it was like one person i think said that they were so yeah that's interesting Makes sense. yeah i would say it's uncommon for that to happen it doesn't really make a lot of sense logically with the hormone shifts that take place okay it's more meant for men to become more soft after sex. If anything, anger during sex, totally. I mean, anger sex is great. Ask any guy, like, after you fight with a girl, when you're pissed at her, when you're mad, or you, like, she's been misbehaving, like, that is, like, some of the funnest sex ever. But um, after sex, it's, yeah, it's not really that common to have to get mad or to, to get angry by accident okay. with no reason. What's this about men Men do or don't want to cuddle after sex? Because I don't like that feeling of I want to cuddle someone, but they don't really want to cuddle me. It's not nice. Um, It depends on the day for me personally. Um, Some days like afterwards, I'm like, I'm ready to keep it moving. I got things to do. Um, At night, I usually don't mind it. Um, Sometimes like, I don't know, it depends. Like if it's long or like if I'm sweating 
or if I'm not like if I'm sweating and we just like I just beat that shit up for an hour and a half like don't touch me when I'm done like I'm I'm going to the shower like yeah. I'm done um other times like it depends like I feel like it's usually more of like the soft sex days where I'm like more cool with it um it depends it depends I mean it I feel like any dude who said he doesn't like being cuddled by a girl is lying like I totally like being little spoon after like sometimes especially if I'm tired <laughs> um i'm totally cool with that post-sex like i just did all this work like you could thank me and i'll just lay here and get cuddled like i'm cool with that um yeah i feel like it's a preference for guys i feel like it's not really like there's no uh like hormonal thing that's driving men to like either want it or not want it it's kind of like a preference thing some dudes feel like it's weak to get cuddled by a woman or it doesn't feel right um for me personally i know that a, a driving force behind it is like my mom always cuddled me when i was young so, like, when I was little, like, I always, like, got cuddled, like, from behind from my mom when I was, like, sleeping or, like, you know, at night, like, my mom was, like, all over me when I was little. So, I guess, like, I like it because, it, like, that feeling is familiar for dudes that maybe didn't get cuddled by their moms as much. They might not like it as much. That's, like, just a personal anecdote that might contribute. Somebody might relate to that, but I don't know for sure. Okay, cool. Cool. That's good. It's good to hear more on that. So, what about you? What's your relationship status? Are you single? Yes. Do you prefer to be single? What's your goals in that arena? I prefer to be in a relationship, to be honest. Um, I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my content is centered around, like, you know, my program and empowering guys to be what they need to be. Like, I've been with a lot of girls in my life. Like, I, I would prefer to have, like, a wife, realistically. Like, a girl who's down for me and is supportive and loving and who I can come home to and, like, consistent sex, consistent love, somebody who, like, brings me food while I'm at my desk and like is excited to watch me eat it and enjoy it. Like I would love that. Um, I don't have it at least not yet. Um, I've had relationships, but it was never like, I never totally had everything that I wanted in them. So I'm kind of just like, you know, I am, you know, doing my thing now. Um, I am single and doing my thing, but I'm kind of like waiting for something to come along. And also like, as a guy, the way that you approach relationships is very different than like girls. Like, girls are looking for, like, the one dude who's, like, the best dude, like, right off rip. And as a guy, it's, like, I'm going to have sex with a lot of girls that are down for me. And then kind of, like, they're all kind of trying out for the position of girlfriend. Um, and then eventually they can, like, like, I have to spend time vetting them to make sure that I'm not investing resources into a girl that's going to fuck me over or embarrass me. So it's one of those things where, like, you know... I have to take more time to start a relationship where like a girl could be like, I'm about you like that. Like I'm in, like, if that was to happen, I would be open to it, but I still am cautious in the beginning, no matter what, no matter who the girl is, whatever. Um, because it's just not logical as a man to just jump into a relationship and take a girl seriously, especially like if you're gonna like be public about it, especially like when I, I have an online presence and like a reputation. So like a girl could swoop in and if I start posting a girl or whatever, like it could, you know, totally embarrass me or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's happened in the past. So um, oh. it's kind of just like preventative measures. But um, either way, it's like, you know, it's I, I suggest every guy do that. You know what I mean? Like take time to vet girls out, make sure that they're actually down, test behaviors, make sure that they're actually down, learn about their past, figure out who you're dealing with before you start investing lots of resources. First couple of days should be low investment, coffee, breakfast, something that's like not OD money and like you know, work your way in with relationships. So that's how I approach it these days. Do you always pay on dates? Yeah, 100%, every time. Do you, you like insist? Yeah. Nice. I mean, most girls don't offer, but I, oh. Oh, I, just, feel like it's, I just feel like it's normal to pay for the date as a guy. It's like weird if you don't. Um, if, if a girl offers to pay for the date 
or or to uh like to pit to split it or something she's basically telling you like i don't like you like that okay that makes sense because way back in the day i'm not gonna get into like myself a whole bunch but i mean i always do on these i can't help it but i'll just say this I used to insist all the time because it was like a feministy thing back in the day and guys hated it. They fucking hate like they, I could see that their their feelings literally got hurt. But then some guys seem like aggressive, not not aggressive, but um, some guys seem like what's the word I want to use? Like um, they get annoyed that they have to pay. What do you think that is? Um, They're probably broke. Mm -hmm realistically like a guy who who makes decent money like doesn't care about paying for a breakfast or a dinner um it's one of those things where it's like i don't know for me like i like paying for the dinner i like being like here take my credit card like you know or i like putting hundreds on the table after the fancy dinner like i like that yeah um a lot of guys do I, the only people who don't like it are the, the people who can't do it um but i mean even times where like i haven't had like stupid money like that even i'd rather spend my last like 10 bucks like on a date and like still pay like i'd rather you know rather have no money than no class but it's one of those things where yeah like i don't know if, if a girl offers to pay for the date like i or to like pay for half or something like i would assume that like she don't like me like that and she's basically like giving me a subtle cue like i don't see you as like a dominant like male partner i see you as like a friend mm -hmm. and it's like that's like a, a sign for me where i'm like all right well this is going to be harder to escalate or this probably won't escalate um and that's just it is what it is just an observation that I've made over time. Girls that usually want to pay for the date usually aren't about you like that. Um, and normally if they are about you like that, like they're totally cool with you paying for it. And they, yeah. most girls expect it. Okay. Yeah. I know. I heard that it's like that in the dating world. It's just like been a weird experience for me, but I would say for sure I can confirm overall women love that. It's just a nice move. It's a smooth move. I don't even, yeah. Yeah. I just, I think people like it. Okay. Nick, I'm so excited that we did this episode. It was so fun. I have one last question for you that I ask every guest. What in your world is the root of health, do you think? If you could pick one thing or one practice or one concept, what would be the root common denominator of health? Oh, uh, it's a tough one. I know. Because my program literally has eight. <laughs> <laughs> um. I would say if I had to pick one, <clears throat> nutrition, I would probably say like nutrition, micronutrients. Um, I mean, it, it's hard. I would say, I would say nutrition, sleep, sunlight would be mm. like my, would be like my trio, my three, my tripod. <laughs> okay. I, I agree with that. I think. Okay, Nick Caputo, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Nick is a male hormone expert, founder of the Top T Natty Cycle program. Nick, if we're interested in working with you, if we're interested in supporting your work, where can we find you? You can check out my Instagram at Top T Nick. On Instagram, no spaces, none of that, just Top T Nick. And uh, you can DM me the word beast or comment the word beast on any of my posts and my team will be in touch with you. Amazing, thank you so much. Yep, no doubt. Thank you for having me on here. It was a good time. Okay, you guys, I need your help here. I want to get word spread about the info that we share in this show as much as possible. I want it to reach around the world. It already has. I want it to continue to reach around the world. And I want us to be able to share this information because this is empowering shit. You guys know that I only share empowering shit on here. I only share stuff that is going to make you feel like your dreams can 
become a reality and you can create what you want in your life and you can achieve what you want in your life and big changes can happen. Big evolution can happen in a positive direction in your life. I've done that in my life. It is my goal. It is my life purpose to help as many other people achieve that as well. So if you can help me do this, I would be so grateful. Please share this episode, share my podcast, other people about my podcast, share it on Instagram. I would just so appreciate that. Subscribe, uh, whatever we can do to get the word out more about this information. I love providing it for you guys. It makes me so happy and it would just mean the world to me if you continue to share it. I love you guys so much. Info on how to work with me is in the show notes. I have a group coaching course. I have one-to-one private coaching. I have a workshop. There will be more offerings in the future. I'm There's a lot going on. So all of this info is in the show notes and enjoy. I can't wait to see you on the next episode. Talk to you soon. I love you.